0: This is Inglorious Trexpert, Darren Doctorman. And from me and everybody at the Trexperts, we wish you a lovely holiday season and hope that you have time to spend it with your friends and family and with our wonderful swag from our various websites and our sister podcasts, Inglorious Trexperts and 430 Movie. At the Inglorious Trexperts site, that's com, you can find a whole bunch of swag with our Trexpert's logos and famous uh, quotes from the show and T-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies and spatulas. No, there's no spatulas, but uh, you can get tote bags and uh, coffee mugs, all that sort of swag that uh, you've come to uh, expect from a high-quality podcast. So take a look on com, and also look at 430movie.com. That's 430movie.com.
6: Best movies never made as featured in entertainment weekly is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free electric now app. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed gross and me, Mark A. Altman have a new oral history from St. Martin's press. It's secrets of the force, the complete uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, pick it up today and you can learn the secrets of the force and don't miss our oral history of star trek in stores now and of course nobody does it better the complete oral history of james bond in digital hardcover paperback and audio that is all Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And this is the annual Inglorious Trexperts Holiday Special, Sci-Fi Movies 101.
7: You come here with your minds full of mush, and you leave with your minds still filled with mush, but appreciating science fiction films. Here's a dime. Go and tell your mother that you won't be a science fiction author. (laughs) You won't be a (laughs) Drexler. Wow, that was amazing. Uh, (laughs) Professor Kingsfield, that
6: was great. Thank you, Professor Kingsfield. Mm. Thank you. (laughs) And I thought we only did Gene on this show. Okay, well guys, welcome back. This is part three of our top 101 Sci-Fi Movie Countdown, this year's holiday special here on the Trexpert. He's doing mm. a
0: countdown.
6: And uh, once again, I'm thrilled and delighted to welcome back Mr. Uh, Robert Meyer Burnett of the Burnett Work. Welcome back, Rob.
4: Mark, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else.
6: And uh, joining us again, it's Trexpert extraordinaire, the man behind Dota Dragon's Blood, the hit new show on Netflix of course, I'm talking about none other than Ashley Edward Miller. Welcome, Ashley.
3: Thank you, Mark. You are the solar wind beneath my wings.
6: I'm a star before time. Okay. <laughs> um, so listen, I got to ask you guys, we're, we're, here we are at the end of the year, the end of 2021. We've, we've, we've made it through another year. And, uh, you know, we're talking a lot about movies. But, you know, as we look back, you know, I got to ask you, what were some of your favorite television? of 2021, of this last year that we are, are looking at in the rearview mirror. What have, what have you really enjoyed? One of the reasons I ask you is I just finished watching a remarkable show on Disney Plus. And of course, I'm talking about Get Back, Peter Jackson's epic um, uh, uh, t- uh, tale of the uh, Let It Be sessions, um, which I think is perhaps the greatest chronicling of the creative process I've ever seen. I just I love it. I can't get enough. Occasionally I, I I see people bitching about the fact that it's too long. To me, it's not long enough. It's much like the Dry Dock sequence in Star Trek the Motion Picture. It can go on and on and on. And I'll be just fine <laughs> and dandy with that. Mm. Do you, are yeah. you asking any of us? Well, no, I'm asking you guys <laughs> tell t- 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 tell me what <laughs> TV did you Amos love specifically? this year?
4: Well, okay, Mark, I I I I've been uh dipping my my toes into Korea and uh, not just squid game which i've quite enjoyed not just lalisa my favorite member of blackpink who has covid now please i hope she hasn't doesn't have for all, all time but right now i am watching uh hellbound which is a korean series a six part korean series uh, a horror series that is by the same director from uh, who directed train to busan mm-hmm. and it is It's crazy. And I love it because in this series, an angel appears to you, an angel, and basically tells you when you're going to die, the exact time that you're going to die. And then these three, they look like Ben Grimm. They look like the thing from the Fantastic Four, but they're all black and they are also smoking as if they're ashen or volcanic or something. Mm. And they come up out of, if you're sitting in a Starbucks, They'll ravage the Starbucks. They will take you out. They will beat you to death in the middle of a, a, a modern city, and then they will, they will, they will, they will fry you and take your soul to hell. Like mm-hmm. one of them flash mobs. Uh, it, 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 and I have to say, what's really interesting extreme about it is uh, the cult or the 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 ramifications. Once this starts happening, I mean, imagine if this happened in our world today, which is what it does do it. There are cults that arise from this. I mean, is this satanic? Is, is did God will this? And it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I that's what I love about it. I, I, I mean, five minutes of this show is far more compelling than, say, an entire season of. Never mind. OK, uh, uh, so,
6: you know, like you, Rob, I have to say I was a big fan of Squid Game. You know, uh, I came to a little late after the hype, but it lives up to the hype. Yep. You know, obviously, even if you've seen Battle Royale and The Hunger Games, it's still pretty awesome because it's it's about something brilliantly cast, gorgeously shot, terrific. What about you, Ashley? What what what's on your radar? What have you been enjoying in 2021?
3: Nothing. I got nothing. nothing. I don't like nothing. I'm been writing TV. I've been watching it. I've been writing it. I've been watching it. Um, Jesus Christ. You know,
4: I I watched that. it's, It's good.
3: Yeah, it is good. I, uh, it's hard sometimes to tell um, what the hell came out when, because, you know, obviously our, you know, long international nightmare has continued in such a way that we've all lost any sense of time or place. So I feel like I want to tell you that I watched Wayne on Amazon Prime in 2021, but I could be wrong. It could have happened in 2020. Yeah. I don't know, but I can tell you that I love that effing show. Um, I can tell you that one of my favorite shows uh, just came back onto Amazon Prime, and I'm very excited to sit down and watch it, uh, Hannah, uh, which is kind of a remake and then sequel to uh, the, uh, the movie um, from about 10, 15 years ago. Um, is this the last season, the third season? Yeah, this is the last season. I'm, I'm tremendously excited. It's really smart. It's like it's it's really well acted um, and well directed. It's just it's just got a great tone to it. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that like kind of in the same vein because there's a lot of stuff you start watching just because your your kids were watching it. Like uh, I didn't even know that there was an IMDb TV, but apparently there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an a, a TV show. Uh, that was based on a young adult series called Alex Ryder. Yep. It turned out to be really smart.
4: It's like a James Bond esque really cool. thing, right?
3: Yeah, except it was more like kind of like Le Carré, but with like right. a teenager. It was really so. It's not like Agent
4: Cody Banks. No, it? it's
3: not like Agent Cody Banks. It's like, you I'm know what it asking, is? It's like, know. it's like. It's like what we wanted Agent Cody Banks to be.
4: Yes, I know. I remember and, and those. Harold Zwart
3: did not. <laughs> it's
4: like. Nor right. did MGM. Nor did them. Well, MGM kind of did, but like. Let yeah. me ask you, boys. And all look four, where they are now.
3: All,
6: yeah,
4: exactly. Actually, all three of you. Did you guys watch *Mayor of East Town*?
3: No.
6: The, no, the... but I'll tell you what I did watch on HBO that I love: *The White Lotus*, which was uh, uh, awesome. And uh, I'm so glad that *Succession* is back. The only show I cared anything about this year. You know I, I was like, well, better call Saul. I, I can't wait for it. But it right. was uh I could not wait for Succession to come back after COVID and thank God it's back because it's just as great, great as ever. Show.
4: But I have to encourage all of you to watch Meravy's Town because Kate Winslet gives a fearless performance, one of the great performances I've ever seen. I mean, she laid it all on the line. It's a great show, but her performance my, my is my mom stellar. actually
7: my mom actually watched all of it and recommended it to me. Yeah. Um, I haven't had much time to watch regular TV. You've or, been a little busy, haven't you, Derek? Been a little busy, but but I have. I, I did. Uh, I did finally watch uh, Squid Game uh, after hearing all the hype, and uh, you know, three weeks later, I finally watch it. Um, I was disappointed that there were no squids in it. <laughs> uh, well, I thought then you should watch Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the
6: Sea.
4: Exactly. It exactly. was no Watchmen. Is that what you're saying? Uh I liked I liked Watchmen on HBO actually. But there were squids in that. Are you there caught were. up on Ted Lasso? I'm caught up on Ted Lasso.
7: I like Ted Lasso.
4: It's yeah, a uh, lot, lot a lot a lot very of refreshing.
7: Yeah, exactly. Um, but there's a, a, another show that a friend of mine recommended to me that I watched the first season of that is called The Sinner with Bill Pullman. Mm. It's really good. And it uh, at least the first season, I can't speak for the other ones yet. Um but uh, it's, uh, it's like a murder mystery mixed with uh, a self-help uh, uh, show. It's very odd, but Pullman is great. And uh, the story is, uh, is, is disturbing and uh, interesting. Yeah.
6: yeah. And of uh, course, WandaVision we didn't talk about, which of all the Marvel uh, shows that have been trumpeted over the last year, that was the one I really liked until the very end.
3: Yeah, yeah I liked it until it turned into a television show. Well, uh, I liked because... it until it turned into a Marvel movie. Yeah, there was well. There's just no control over that plot. Like there were just so many things that that once it kind of went out into the into the real world, it just completely fell apart yeah. because the concept no longer yeah. sustained, and it just wasn't very well structured. And it was it kind didn't stick to landing. I, um, I got to tell you, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Ashley. Oh, and I was just gonna say that I liked Loki. Uh, oh, and you know what? If you haven't seen it, uh, Modok on
4: Hulu. Come on, really? It's awesome. All right, all right. it's. Awesome. I have to tell you, there's a show that's been airing that I think is one of the weirdest uh, network shows I've seen in a long time. LaBranne. No, no. <laughs> Evil. Evil. And it was a show that began on NBC. I loved the first season. The second season, it, it, the thing about the first season is you didn't know whether, is it the devil or is it just the modern age of social media? And the second and season. And are they
7: different things?
4: Well, <laughs> right. that that's exactly what the show is about. And the second season, it got renewed for a third season, was picked up by um uh I think Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, uh I hated the second season. I, I love the actors, I love the show, I love what it did. I thought the second season was was terrible, mm. but I watched it because I love the actors <laughs> and, and I watch it now. I'm like, God, how and it got it the cast is amazing and it but i thought it went completely off the rails it it, it, it became a parody it, it was this really interesting thoughtful show in the first season and then it embraced all of the worst elements of the show and but i still watched i, I religiously tuned in and i'm like why is this what 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 what, what lorraine what 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 it was not good and, and I, I can't I, wait to see the third season well, when realize, we left
7: off at
6: the
4: I end.
7: Uh, it, what? What, Darren? It's been a nice diversion talking about TV, and I, I feel that you're about to transition us back well, into talking about uh, movie.
6: That's what I was just about to say. We're never going to get
7: through this unless we race. Well,
6: thanks for bringing that up. So, when we uh, when we last uh, left the countdown, we were at number seventy with Battlestar Galactica, the nineteen seventy nine release of the nineteen seventy eight TV series, which brings us to sixty nine. Now, you might think that that would be Rob's <laughs> Slot, but indeed it is Ashley who will tell us what number sixty nine is in our top one hundred and
3: one countdown of the greatest sci fi movies of all time. OK, so number sixty nine. Sixty nine is if a man and a woman love each other. Very. Oh, you mean the movie so much um, going
4: on? You can't do your best work. Come on. You know, it's true. Yeah, you're right. It's uh,
3: look, number sixty nine is Whoa. is a is a sequel to perhaps one of the greatest films of all time certainly um, the
4: greatest science fiction film of all time certainly one of the greatest uh, science fiction films of all well that time remains but whether or not it seen. is remains to be seen
3: exactly um, it's uh, it's audacious even in attempting to be a sequel to that film um, but it turns out that it's a uh, it's a smart cool Interesting science fiction adventure, uh, directed by uh, by Peter Hyams, who's got a really interesting visual style. Uh, it came out in 1984 with a terrific cast, including uh, kind of fan favorites, uh, Roy Scheider, uh, John Lithgow, Helen Mirren, um, and a uh, return appearance by by uh, you know what, on this show, we would pronounce it Keir Dulia. Kir delays, right? Uh, but uh, Kir delays, <laughs> okay, which is also a, it's also it's also a very frothy dessert drink. Um, I'm referring, of course, to 2010, the year we make contact.
8: How are you going to convince your people to allow Americans to go on the flight?
4: We are going to get
5: there first, and you have the knowledge to make the trip work.
8: <laughs> I'm going on the flight.
1: Are oh. Mommy said you're going
9: to be asleep for a long time. Are you going to die? Dr. Floyd. Dr. Floyd. Dr. Arloff has encountered some strange data coming from Europa. I will send Max down with a pod.
5: I wouldn't do that. Oh, really? You want to send a pod down there, send an unmanned one. Hey, a piece of pie. Cake.
8: Piece of cake. Cake, yes.
10: If this date is correct, and there's something down there. It is correct. It was organic, There it was life. Is it moving? Yes. It's incredible.
5: Listen for a minute. We've got to get out of here.
8: I can't do all of these things with no reason. I can't dis- well, Forget reason. There's no time to be reasonable.
7: Are
10: you sure you are making the right decision? I think we should stop.
8: You see, something's going to happen.
1: What? Something wonderful.
3: It's amazing to me that, um, that a movie like the, A, a movie like this got made, but B, it's so much better than it has any right to be. Um, I actually find it incredibly interesting. It's based on a, a book uh, by Arthur C. Clarke, you know, a sequel to his own work, um, and the plot is, you know, Earth sends out a ship to figure out what the hell happened back in 2001. Nine years ago. Nine years ago. Uh, Roy Scheider is one of the scientists on that mission, um, and they get to Jupiter and they discover a lot of stuff involving monoliths and the intention of the aliens. And it has a fairly, like, you know, classic. I don't know if I would call it a line of dialogue, but uh, but there is a very classic, I think, sort of science fiction film reference. Um, All these worlds are yours, save Europa. Attempt no landings there. Use them together. Use them in peace. Um, which is something that I think you know we associate with the 2001 Canon um, which if nothing else I think elevates elevates this film or at least speaks to I think the the value and, and quality of the movie it elevates Arthur Clark's book yeah for sure
7: yeah <laughs> even though Arthur Clark's book didn't say use them
4: together use them in peace no they it, it did not
7: i I like I like the aim that this film has mm-hmm I really like where it wants to be. It never gets there in my mind. Um, it, it, turns into, uh, it turns into kind of movie of the week occasionally. Uh, but the, all the actors are, are lovely. Uh, the, uh, the, um, the design is kind of wonky. Uh, specifically in when they try to recreate the sets from 2001, A Space Odyssey, because those are just terrible. Um, but I enjoy the film, I enjoyed it when it came out. I, I went to the theater uh, four or five times to watch it. And this is one of those uh, that I walked in the theater with uh, two microphones on each uh, shoulder and recorded it. So I've listened to it a billion times. Um, and uh, I, I, really, I really liked the book when it came out. Uh, it came out a couple of years before that. And uh, it's fun, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an adventure story. Uh, where you know 2001 definitely is not um it's it's more it's it's a lot more pedantic a story uh but that's okay because it's it's uh it's still it's still kind of in the same uh universe um
4: but uh it's fun i'll I'll say that for it it's fun i uh, you know this 2010 came out within 2 weeks of dune david lynch's Correct. dune holiday season 1984 I, I love the book that this is based on. The book really mm-hmm. did have a sense of wonder. And uh, I, I really, really like this film. The, I think this movie is greatly hampered by the fact that at the time, Peter Himes, as the writer, director and cinematographer, cinematographer. wanted to inject a, a sense of immediacy by adding the Cold War theme to this. Yeah. And, and in the what's ironic is in the book, the Russians and the Americans team up to beat the Chinese
1: right. to, uh, right. to
4: Europa, which if they had just done the book,
7: that, we would still be current.
4: Yes. And when, you, and when, you're, be dated. when, you're, when you're adapting a, a science fiction writer's novel, uh, if, you're, if, you're, if your uh, inclination is to pull back and, and try and make it immediate for today, never do that. Always just trust in the writer of the science fiction, because they've thought about it a lot longer than you have. And um, I think when you watch it now, it's truly a, it's a beautifully made science fiction adventure, but it feels horribly dated, Yeah. even though I, I really do love this film. And I, there's some amazing effect shots in it, uh, 65 millimeter stuff. It's great. The Helen Mirren and the Roy Scheider relationship is really good. The relationship between John Lithgow and the, the Russian uh, astronauts. It's 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 a really worthy movie. But the thing that really torpedoes it in my mind is the Cold War politics of it, which seems so quaint and outmoded.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny you say that, Rob, because I was thinking the same thing. I, I mean, I remember watching it for the first time, that opening scene at the radio dish between Haywood Floyd and the, the Russian. And I'm like, what is this? What's you know, It's like, it's the Chinese, you know? Yeah. and And I'm like, it was completely you. That was not in the book. And I'm already like, what is he doing? And, you know, people think now is like, when the studios rush these things into production for anniversaries and for, you know, to get them into theaters and, you know, they compromise everything. And, but, you know, it's interesting because this was the era of like Psycho 2 when they were making sequels for the first time. In the movies that had no right having sequels, right. like who right. does a sequel to 2001? And I remember at the time, <laughs> MGM had, a, for whatever reason, had rushed this into production. Maybe they had just merged and it was during that whole credit Leonaise mess and everything. They needed a block, a big film, and they thought this would be it. And one of the reasons that Peter Himes, in order to have it the movie for Christmas, they, they had it. Peter Himes said, well, I have to shoot it. I have to write it. I have to direct it in order to make your schedule. So it's the same almost as we've heard uh, so many times. They backed into a schedule rather than a movie and you know it's better than it has any right to be, but at the same time, it's like really
4: 2010 <laughs> Peter Himes. I mean, well, I, I know, believe- the the book the book actually had a, a a sense of wonder to it. I remember in the book the the David Bowman entity is plunging through the clouds of uh, Jupiter. Yeah, and I remember reading that, thinking, "Oh wow, you know this is really cool." And when I when I saw the film. Which I do think does retain a sense of wonder to it, but I was waiting to see these transcendent images of—I uh, don't know what that would look like—an uh, entity plummeting into the the clouds of Jupiter, where there are life forms floating in the clouds. And all. I thought it would have been and there. Was, it's not in the movie, you yeah. know? And and uh, I, 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 there is some cool stuff with the David Bowman character, but I mean, he goes and he he he. Rushes the hair of his dying mother. Uh, but not right exactly. out of the
6: box, it makes some big commercial choices, which are probably the right ones. First, they cast Roy Scheider as Heywood Floyd. You know, you get somebody who's charismatic, which is the opposite of, you know, 2001. He's, he's the least Kubrickian kind of character you can imagine. And right. then, of course... Um, you know, they bring Hal back. And and that's, you know, obviously crowd bait. Is that, you know, having well, Doug Rain back is how it happens in the book. Yeah, but it's well, they did get welcomed, Douglas Rain. They got the yeah, same yeah. And of course that, you know, so it's all the more appealing commercial aspects of 2001 such as they were that are a kind of mind. And then, you know, you have the whole sequence when they're going aboard the discovery, which is you know supposed to be kind of a nail biter and it's pretty cool. And, but like you said, I think it's a really nice ensemble with Alan Mirren and Bob Taliban, yep. and, you know, really good cast.
7: And all the Russian actors they could find.
6: Yeah. but And they're all really good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So 2010, I think we all agree. Movie much better than has any right to be. Um, but, you know, it's no 2001. OK, and that brings us to number 68,
4: wow. and Rob Burnett with another beloved sci fi classic. Well, uh, the summer of 1982, Mark, as you know, and uh, soon the world will know about why it was a, a significant year in science fiction, fantasy and horror. Uh, this was a scrappy film <laughs> made by a bunch of animators from the East Not Coast. Not crappy, scrappy, <laughs> crappy. Uh, who had moved to the east from the east coast to, to to California, and they they had made bubblicious commercials before, and they had an idea to do a movie about the emergent technology, computers, and what if there was a world inside the computer? What would it be? What would it be like? What would it look like? And um, Disney which was sort of a moribund studio that was looking for anything <laughs> that they could sell to the masses. I mean, they'd made something like the black cauldron didn't do very well. They couldn't even get theaters the way other studios could. They were looking to break through the black the hole was not what they, coming on the they, heels. Yeah.
6: There's something wicked. I this mean, way Ron comes Miller was running yeah. the woods. Ron and Miller was hole.
4: running the studio. It didn't, it wasn't going well. So they, they, they rolled the dice on a group of upstarts that had this idea that we are going to make a film and we're going to use computers to do, well, they ended up doing 15 minutes of CGI. The first you had the Genesis sequence in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan that came out that summer. A couple weeks later, Tron came out.
5: There are over one million computer systems in the United States. Inside every one of them is a startling new world. When Kevin Flynn, a computer genius, unlocks the dimension beneath the screen, he becomes a prisoner in a world of his own making. The world of Tron. Tron, a dimension you have never seen, a name you have never heard. A vision you could never imagine. A world of heroes and villains where energy lives and breathes. Computer,
4: the new world, Tron. Directed by Steven Lisberger, and it was a film that was. It starred Jeff Bridges and Cindy Morgan. It it was very audacious in that they never thought about whether they couldn't do it. They're like, right? We're just gonna try, and they they did things that were insane. So a lot of what this film was, even the live action photography, it was shot in 65 millimeter and black and white. Yeah. And then they created sort of codoliths. They, they would print everything frame by frame and they would hand paint the individual frames of this to make it look like they were glowing. I mean, it was, it was insanity. And then on the other hand, the CG sequences were com- completed on a computer but they didn't even know what they looked like. It's not like today when you can manipulate something in Photoshop. It was all done by mathematics and, and, and vectors. Yeah, they had and no previews. No, nothing. And, and they would program all of this stuff into the computer. And then it would get scanned or, or out, which took days. And the first time they actually saw the finished material was on 65 millimeter film projected. And they would have to look and hopefully it would work out and 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 it's very funny because if you look in the finished film when there whenever there was like mistakes in the frames they would just add a little burst they paint in something and, and put a sound effect like psh, you know they they literally i, I mean it, it's an astonishing achievement it was very much the first film that 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 uh used cgi this way but the story itself was very much about an oppressive political system and uh Uh, The difference between it had religious overtones, you know, in in the computer world, there were the users that had some kind of connection to God, maybe. And uh, it was about a a user as opposed to a program that which was Jeff Bridges, who found himself in this world and he became take your pick, whatever biblical story you want, any kind of revolutionary figure shows up and uh, breaks the programs out of bondage. And uh, it's it also deals with corporate malfeasance. I mean, this is a pretty interesting film that I think has aged quite well. Well, Except
3: for one thing, I have to tell you, because, look, that's all true. And it's all very interesting. Except now in twenty twenty one, we look back and we know what the world of the computer looks like inside. It's it's not video games. It's not programs running around. The world of the computer is chock full of pornography cat videos, and goats who scream like men. That's it. That's the that's the entire computer world. That's the internet. That's what we've learned. Oh wait, there's also rage and virtue signaling, but but they're not nearly as important as those other things. And I think that Tron would have been a much better movie. Tron Legacy, frankly, would have been a much better movie if it had leaned into what we know the world of the computer to be.
4: Just saying. But But they couldn't have known because it hadn't happened yet. True. You know, Early I mean, th- this, this movie was, was two years before the Macintosh computer debuted.
7: Hey, Flynn, <laughs> what are those things over there? Oh, those are trolls. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
4: yeah, no, it, it's, it, it's a very, on one hand, it's a very naive film and quaint. Yeah. But on the other hand, it does have, I love the story about humanity's individuality is what the, the computer world needs to evolve. I yeah, really, see, not unlike I, Spock and Beger
7: I was Starts really impressed by the story when I first saw it because um, I was expecting something really dumb and something really shallow um, but the fact that the fact that they even got into the you know like you said before the religious aspects of it that the programs have this belief in the users that created them that's that's just something extra and that's something that is wonderful in that yeah in that it gives it it, it gives it the um, you know, it gives it the feeling of uh, like Spartacus, a, a gladiatorial uh, story uh, where they, where they rebel. And it's, it's a lot of fun on that basis to me.
4: I, I, I totally agree with you. And also I, I forgot to mention that obviously in 1982 video games were all the rage. I mean, we were just a few years away from pong, right? But now we have the Atari 2600 you had in television, the first eight bit system. And video games were a big deal. So the 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 hook of this movie was the video game, the gaming element, battles right. to the death in the video world. And this movie delivered yep. uh, the light cycle chase. Anyone who's ever watched the light cycle sequence or the the tanks or the recognizers, you know, the, the that would come down from the sky and stamp you out. I mean, the and by the way, the visuals in this film it was like nothing you'd ever seen before. And if you saw this movie in 70 millimeter and you had Wendy Carlos who had worked with Stanley Kubrick before on like clockwork orange, Wendy Carlos did the great score for this film. And it, I mean, Disney, they didn't have the firepower in terms of marketing to get the movie out to the theaters to as many theaters, but man, you, you watch this movie today. Nothing looks like this film. This is a singular moment in Hollywood history. It remains significant. And it still never fails to enchant. Yeah, that's that's why
6: I admire it more than I like it. Like I have a tremendous amount of respect for um, the film, but I don't love it. I, I find it a, a slog, except for David Warner, who is absolutely eats the scenery with a plum. And uh, as much as in Time Bandits, um, he's my favorite thing in, uh, in Time Bandits as Sark. well. Um, so uh, and he's, he's greatness. And, and uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for Ron Miller, who gambled on this film and lost. Um, but, you know, it was audacious, you know, because this was something. Yes, it had, you know, animation, which is what Disney responded to. But wow, this was a huge gamble that didn't pay off for them. And um, well, in the long run, it did. Well, in the long run, but at the time, they, they thought this was gonna re- revive the flagging fortunes of the studio, and yeah, it did not.
7: But isn't so, it better this way? I, I guess think it's better this way.
6: Maybe. Okay, number sixty-seven. It's the savior of the universe, none other than Gordon. He's alive and on our countdown. Flash. Ah, savior of the universe so this is the uh, 1980 Mike Hodges the man who gave you Get Carter Um, now uh, returns for Dino De Laurentiis with the candy colored clown we call the Sandman it's Flash Gordon I'm bored
5: what plaything can you offer me today An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth.
10: I like to play with things a while before annihilation.
5: Pathetic Earthlings! Who can save you now?
1: Ah!
7: Strange object imaged in the Imperial
1: Vortex. Woman, prepare her for our pleasure. Don't give him yet, Father. I want him. Oh,
6: You know what is there to say about this movie that hasn't been said? Sam Jones as the titular hero, Melody Anderson as, t- the, uh,
7: as the titular co-star. <laughs>
6: um, I mean, it's it's uh, you know it, it, it's like somebody you know was let loose with a box of Crayola crayons and went to town on this uh, on this film. It's like uh, they got
7: a big box of glitter and spread yeah. it everywhere.
6: You know, I mean, <laughs> it's like boy. a
7: party in your mouth, and everyone has got. Oh. they they they.
6: you know it harkens back to the old the, the serials the flash gordon serials and it's just fun timothy dalton uh you know gives a spirited performance um <laughs> you know and and uh and, and and you know there's a you know a lot of star wars knocking off going on this Clatu, uh Klaatu? what what's his name klytus Clytus on board, Clitus.
4: It's made by the what great Peter What you offer me today?
6: And of course, Max Van Sydow is he's phenomenal. Great. He's great, and uh, oh my God, is Ming the Merciless? He, you know, talk about eating the scenery, but he's so good, and the stunning
7: costumes. Um, I just wish Roswell the other show. actors were in the same movie that Max von Cito was,
6: because <laughs> I so like the good. movie that he's in. Ah, oh, he's so <laughs> much. He's so much fun. So much fun! I mean, God, he was in everything in the seventies and eighties, and uh, Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, he says King Osric, but uh, that won't be on this list because, of course, we're doing science fiction movies, not fantasy movies, not horror movies. Don't sell my work by the yard. And we are definitely not going to have Han and her sisters (laughs) in uh, (laughs) on the list either. Although if there was a way, I'm sure I would. It is kind of science fiction. (laughs) But um, but anyway, Flesh Gordon—it's just a fun movie. Um, I'm Flash not going to hold it up as a great, you what did sure I say? You,
7: make sure you pronounce Flash Gordon. What did I say? say Flash Gordon.
6: Oh, no, Flash which Gordon. is a different Flash. film. Yeah, it's an entirely, an entirely
7: different podcast. May or so, may not be on our list.
6: Greg Jean yeah, worked on one and not on the other. You know, and, and you look at something like Buck Rogers, which admittedly I enjoy, but, you know, Buck Rodden, Rogers leans in the campy direction as well, but it doesn't have the artistry and the chutzpah oh. and the fun and, and uh, the craftsmanship of something like Flash Gordon. I couldn't yeah. agree more, and yeah. it doesn't
4: have Queen. Okay, and but Ornella it, Muti as Princess Ardala is one of the most beautiful women. who Whoever Princess existed. Ardala, Princess Ardala was Buck Rogers. Oh, oh, pardon me. <laughs> it's <Princess. laughs> you mean Dale
3: Arden? Princess Aura.
4: Princess Aura. That's right. Yeah. Oh, Ornella okay. Muti. Sorry. Uh, no, did I say Ardala? Princess you said Ardala, well, she has the same. I believe on Flash you, Aura. I don't trust you. Yeah. <laughs> I,
6: I I don't you know, but I, you got to wonder, she throws, a, a, you know, over uh, Timothy Dalton for Sam Jones. Don't see it. Yeah, me neither. either.
4: Sometimes you got to take like you to one. the pleasure moon of Cythera,
6: and, and, you know, also, if, if, if you're a fan of Flash Gordon, um, there's a beautiful Arrow Films 4K release, uh, which is superb. And there's also the wonderful Life um, as Flash uh, documentary about Sam Jones which is also yeah. worth watching if you want a deeper dive
4: into the making of this bizarre and I mean let's hear it let's hear it for our boy Seth McFarlane for bringing back Sam Jones and Ted Ted yeah T- yeah absolutely that was a, a very not only does he bring back Sam Jones
6: but he also extols the merits of Rita Coolidge's unjustly maligned all-time high from <laughs> Octopussy yeah that's true so Let's give it up for Seth MacFarlane. Okay. that Now we're going to go back in time
7: to number 66 we're and go Garrett Ackerman. Back Docterman. in time. Uh, no, it's not that movie. Uh, it's, uh, but we are going back to time to 1960 for The Time Machine.
5: Such stories as H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds and Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea have challenged mankind. So today, man is successfully probing deep into the mysteries of the universe. Can he penetrate the greatest mystery of all, time itself? of George Pal and the fabulous production know-how of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer to catapult you through time into a world that is yet to be.
2: Why is it that we usually ignore the fourth dimension? You you see, we can move in the other three. As the doctor said, up, down, forwards, backwards, sideways. But when it comes to time, we are prisoners.
5: Inventor Rod Taylor's breakthrough into the realm of the fourth dimension is defied by his friend Alan Young.
2: If that machine can do what you see it can, Destroy it, George, before it destroys you.
5: Every moment is a year, hurtling through the atomic wars of the future on an incredible excursion into the unknown. What are the people like? Ah, the shape of things to come. It's lovely Yvette Mimou. And what happens when boy meets girl thousands of years hence?
9: How do they wear their hair? Who? The women of your time.
5: Up like that.
9: Show me.
5: Is this the human race of the future? Or is this the Morlocks, fiendish creatures who live in a weird underground world? And the Eloi, the tranquil sunshine people, who the Morlocks dominate and maintain like cattle, luring them below with the hypnotic wail of the sirens to feed upon them in cannibalistic horror?
7: George wow. Powell's, uh, uh, he, he wasn't credited as producer, even though he was, uh, but he uh, directed this. And it's a really fun adaptation of the H.G. Wells novel. Um, we, are, uh, we are with uh, the title character who creates the time machine is named H. George Wells. So it's a bit of a, a semi-autobiography, but we know it re- really didn't happen. Or did it?
4: Yeah, or uh, did it? Come on, dude. It could have happened. Don't, don't shout it's out of my such illusions. A,
7: it's such a great... It's a, first of all, it's a great setup in the movie where uh, he basically comes back from uh, his time travel. and uh, Or no, he, he doesn't come back yet. He is meeting with his friends in his drawing room talking about the fact that he's invented this time machine. And the little model of it that he shows them uh, he presses a button and it disappears right in front of them. And uh, it's a little magical setup where all of them think that he's crazy, that uh, he's uh, you know, lost his mind and lost his faculties, except one, uh, his friend, David Philby, played by Alan Young, who, uh, who has faith in him. And we see uh, uh, Wells go back in time and meet ancestors and, and uh, descendants of uh Philby throughout the years and it's really touching and it's uh, some great uh sweet moments in the film but as anyone knows who's uh, read the book or seen the movie uh the author goes in uh into the future to 802,701 is the year uh and don't ask me why I know that I just do uh but uh, as he finds out uh, mankind and humanity has been split into two factions one the sweet and peaceful eloy that live above ground and are in big a, fans
6: of the black hole
7: in a big <laughs> in a in a big uh, paradise or is it there's no, there's just one catch they are the cattle for the evil quote Morlocks, who are the other split of the of the human race, who live below ground, and they uh, they run the machines and they make everything happen on the surface.
3: Brain,
4: they look like brain, an Inge Molstein uh, cover okay. Wrong, it's they're, not.
6: Uh,
3: it's Fox Prime. Who do <laughs> covers of Inge Molstein? And how? Who would
7: do them? <laughs> <laughs> who else would play a guitar like that?
1: Anyway, sorry. <laughs> go ahead, Steve <laughs> Vai, I guess. But.
7: But it's a it's a it's it's a great movie, and the uh, the visual effects were you know simple by today's standards, but they were very creative and very wonderful, um, uh, and they were done by uh, Projects Unlimited, which uh, was the uh, company that Gene uh, Warren and Hua Chang and, and Howard Anderson uh, set up, and uh, it's it's really beautiful the score is amazing by Russell Garcia. I, I have always loved the score. And uh, if you can find it anywhere, listen to it. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, but it's a great story. It's well told. And yes, it's a different time uh, of, uh, of movies where this kind of thing was a sort of a special occasion. And it was done uh, in a very uh, imaginative way. Um, but if you can find it, uh, watch 1960s The Time Machine. Yeah, you can find it. There's a good Blu-ray available. Is there? Yeah. I, have. I haven't seen it. Yeah. No, no. I guess it went off my radar. Yeah. Maybe the Morlocks moved it. <laughs> Perhaps they did.
6: But uh, yeah, Time Machine is uh, you know staple of the 430 movie growing up. Uh, you know, Obviously, it served as the uh, basis for a terrible remake directed by Simon Wells, um, the descendant of H.G. Wells. But it, it, it served as a much more uh, a, a better inspiration for another film that I'm sure will make our list later on. Of course, I'm talking about Nick Meyer's... Uh, um, time after t- time. Well, time after time. I wasn't going to say the name, but Nick Meyer's take on the uh, time machine. Uh, and it's a very different uh, perspective. But we'll talk about that when and if it appears on our list. But a great pick uh, from uh, Darren Doctorman. We all love the time
3: machine, don't we, boys? We do. We do. And so do you,
6: <laughs>
4: and that brings us to number sixty-five and Rob Burnett. With... Oh, this movie comes to us from—I uh, have to say—one of my favorite unsung directors, writer-directors, David Tui. Yep, absolutely. Uh, who brought us? Who brought us Riddick? People know him from Pitch Black, The Chronicles of Riddick, or Riddick. He also directed a, a terrific movie called Below. love Below. Yeah. And uh, Warlock. He wrote Warlock. Now, this is a film that he wrote and directed. The Arrival.
9: Station five. Is my voice even vaguely familiar to you, Zane? I really don't want to repeat it last week.
8: Look, if I say I'm going to be there, I will be there. End of story. There is nothing more important to me right now than a... Searching for ETs in this political environment is a tough sell. I come to you with the possibility of extrasolar life. I
3: can't for it. They're acting like it never happened. It's like we never gave him any tape.
8: The first signal definitely sky based, but this one is earth based. Something's going on here, Sean. What is it that they're trying to hide? a
5: troubled young man
8: why are you telling them lies about me i want my
5: tape back i want it back they've branded his theory paranoid
8: there are some D.O.T. guys here going through our stuff i don't
1: know who these guys are but i do know that they're lying to you
8: and the only ones who
5: believe what's coming if they're not here now they will be soon
1: posing
5: are the ones who've already arrived
8: Right now, as much as you think you know, you don't know the half of it.
1: Why did they leave? They didn't. How do you know?
8: Because we aren't dead yet. Move!
5: Stop watching the skies. I know why they're here. Start watching Look back. Dad! Charlie sheen ron silver the arrival
10: like i said see you didn't know the half of it
4: now yes, first of all arrival. The, arrival. the arrival not, not a a arrival. arrival don't don't uh don't mistake no, confusing. This. this is the movie with david mamet's ex-wife Lindsay krauss that's how you know that it's not the Dennevil new film with uh other people in it and denny villeneuve would never cast charlie sheen that's another way No, you know. and this movie stars charlie sheen as <laughs> let's let's say it with me now zane Zamitsky, zane zamitsky but and, it's also
7: it's also apparent that denny villeneuve has seen the chronicles of riddick
4: uh yeah oh yes absolutely
7: after watching doing this uh this season
4: now i, I have to say I adore this movie. This movie I uh, actually made the mistake. Uh, I was actually moderating a conversation at a screening of this movie at the Royal Theater in West Los Angeles when I was the director of I uh, was the uh, event- special events for the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, and I made the mistake of saying that David Tui was the greatest B movie director who ever lived.
6: That's not the way it happened.
4: No, he he didn't like that.
6: Not no, like... Rob, Rob. That's not what happened. Dan never went up to him afterwards and said, "That is the greatest B movie I've ever seen," and he was really insulted. Oh, and Dan well, then... meant it as a compliment. But you
4: did interview him. But I did, You did yes. embarrass yourself. Is, that, like is that. that what? Okay, then I guess I didn't embarrass myself. But I. You feel I, better uh, now? That's good to know. Um, but I adore this movie, and what I love about this movie is. Aliens have come to earth and they're secretly terraforming the planet. Right. And the aliens have uh, the aliens in the in the, in the, in the, guise of Ron silver who unfortunately exactly. no one remembers, but if you watched wise guy in the eighties, you knew Ron silver from the rag trade uh, arc and Ron silver was the villain in Catherine Bigelow's blue steel. Yeah. I got to stop you there. Who's the better character actor.
6: Stephen Toblowski, Ron Silver, or Bob Gutton?
1: Ooh,
4: that's a tough one. They're all so great. Stephen Toblowski's in Basic Instinct. Oh, Um, I
6: I forgot the other one. J.T. Walsh. Right.
4: Oh, J.T. Walsh is the best.
6: I mean, man, the 80s had the greatest character actors. Yeah, Yeah, but I Back when there were character actors. Well, they all died. It's so sad. J.T. Walsh, Ron Silver, way too young. Stephen Toblowski's still alive. He's still alive and working all the time. Yep. And, uh, and then, and then, and, and Bob Gunn's still working. As far as well, we know.
4: What I love about this movie is, is Zane Zeminski is a, uh, it's, first of all, it starts with a climatologist, Lindsey Krauss's climatologist. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then believe it or not, Charlie Sheen is a radio astronomer. Sure. So you know, you're watching a science well, fiction film. If Denise Richards' ex-wife could be a nuclear scientist. Yeah. Why not? I mean, uh, and and basically this film is of course it's it, it's a 70s conspiracy thriller. Yeah. And it's a precursor to the X Files. Yeah. And and basically the aliens and they're on Earth, they've completely manipulated our, our corporate structure. And they have they have built uh uh they have built facilities all over the world to spew out particulate matter uh to up the to, to basically give us a greenhouse effect right. to, uh, as a way uh, they and, are the cause of global warming they are the cause of global warming and they are ron they silver is, is. they yeah. are Ron and ron silver's a leader of them and zane Zeminski figures this out i mean this film has everything it's got special effects it's got great alien creatures that are both cg and practical uh it has hot chicks uh it has there's, there's no C- there's
7: no cg in the movie there's puppets but there's, oh, not- is that
4: true? Okay, there's puppets. Yeah, this is pre, pre. That's how great the CG is. Well, it did right. come out. I mean, it is early 90s, you know. Yeah. It, uh, it's, he, he uh do that then. it, it actually, actually is mid 90s, what, 96. So they're, they're, you know, it, it- the puppets do not look like laser blast, even though the aliens no. kind of do. <laughs> but, uh, this film is, I love this movie. I think this movie is a whole lot of fun. I like the fact that you have a science fiction thriller mashed up with a 70s cons- it, 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 it's basically it it came out in 96 it's doing what the x-files have been doing since 94 95 it almost feels like if there was no x-files feature film yet which we got in 1998 this could have been the first x-files feature film mm. it's just that instead of molder we got zane zaminsky <laughs> and uh uh and david tui this movie is so much fun to watch it's hilarious It's exciting. And at the end, the problem hasn't been solved. You know, the aliens are still here and uh, they're still transforming the planet. They haven't been entirely exposed. And uh, I love this movie. It's
7: a good movie. Yeah, me too. It's a good movie. It's no
4: Terminal storyteller.
6: Yeah, no, it's great. And it's great. It's great that we can showcase movies like this on a list that a lot of people may not have heard of they weren't at Rob's Q&A, which was a terrific Q&A, if I recall. Thank you. It was.
4: Oh. I I thought I was the one that said B-movie, and he got pissed. No, nope. so that was, was Dan, Weber. Dan
6: Weber. That was Dan-in-law. It's good to know.
4: Okay. Because so. I want to blame Dan. That means I I acquitted myself. You're it was a time you did not make an ass of yourself. No, <laughs> <So>, um, <laughs> I didn't tell Kevin Williamson on stage. <laughs> that's or not, that's the science award. fiction. I that you did. Yeah, okay.
6: That. Number 64, Darren Doctorman.
7: It looks like I get another HG Wells adaptation. Uh, this happens uh, much later in uh, our time frame, um, but it is 2005's Steven Spielberg's version of War of the Worlds.
8: No one would have believed in the early years of the 21st century that our world was being watched by intelligences greater than our own. That as men busied themselves about their various concerns they observed and studied. With infinite complacency, men went to and fro about the globe, confident of their empire over this world. Yet, across the Gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us.
7: which uh, was a slow burn for me. I, when I first saw it, I didn't really like it uh, for various reasons, mostly because Tom Cruise is completely unbelievable as a longshoreman. Uh, but as, uh, as the years go, have gone by and I've uh, watched it again several times, um, I like it. The changes, that, uh, the changes to the story that I uh, sort of uh, uh, recoiled at um, are not that big a deal. I think the uh, the realization of the walking machines is amazing. Uh the uh, sense of uh, dread and horror is uh, very uh, real. Um I think that uh, that it is a as good an adaptation as we can have of the story without setting it in the time period that it was uh, written for. Uh it's uh it's it's sort of interesting that it takes place in New Jersey, where the uh, uh, Orson Welles uh, radio drama occurred. Um, but I think it makes sense to uh, put it in a, a big metropolitan area to see what happens. Uh, but one of the one of the aspects of the novel is that uh, it starts out very small in rural areas and spreads out from there, and that's one of the fascinating things. I mean, the novel is a series of. Uh, of vignettes uh, that take place all around uh, England. Um, and it sort, of, uh, it sort of builds upon, builds upon, builds upon things that have happened until you realize, oh my God, it's happening everywhere. Uh, that kind of doesn't happen in this movie. It, this is more of a direct thing. Uh, but it's uh, it's extremely well done. I think that, that the uh, handling of the mi- military in the movie is uh, a little bit uh, ham-handed. Uh, like in most science fiction movies even dating back to the 50s Um, but I think it's uh, I think it's well realized Uh, again I'm the only down point is that it's Tom Cruise for me I think Mm -hmm. if uh, if say James Gandolfini had been the star Mm
1: -hmm. that would have
7: been freaking perfect this is a guy from New Jersey this is a guy trying to you know get back with his uh, wife trying to take care of his kids that would make it real for me and that would have been amazing These guys i gotta aliens. go because Just... i have to
3: go pitch the sopranos versus aliens oh my god yeah. like uh, well, we said, so i'll see you guys later okay. yeah i mean <laughs> and Darren, I, get into I, <laughs> I
4: I have to say that uh i think the first half an hour of this movie is genius i mean it, it is some of the greatest the setup, science fiction. it's great the
1: setup it is, is great.
4: it is you know you you've got a father who's kind of a you know the estranged from his wife and his kids like i don't want to be here and and it, it it starts out as like the very familiar family drama mm-hmm. and yeah tom but tom cruise plays it great i mean I, I i understand him being a longshoreman you're like but he's tom cruise but I'll I'll, I'll 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 allow it what are you gonna do but the the actual setup to the the build-up to the aliens emerging from uh, underground is incredible and I have to say when I I think one of the more disturbing images in any science fiction film is what happens to human beings when they're hit by one of these rays Mm -hmm. like when I was a child the most significant moment in my life was watching a priest fried by Martian heat rays in the original War of the Worlds and you know there's a priest and I thought my my best friend was Catholic I I was Jew and I uh, like I knew that even though I wasn't Catholic, I knew that Catholic priests, you know, say what you want, they're worthy of respect. Like I had to respect the sure. clergy and to watch the Martians just but kill the a The Martians
7: priest, didn't even care. They didn't they care, just they just him killed him. Sure,
4: sure. I, and I couldn't believe it. It, it. In my young life, I was like, that's when I realized the world is more difficult than I thought it might've been. And I saw that movie when I was five years old and it made such an impression. This film, when the aliens start shooting, and people just go, thum, thum, thum. Yeah. the images of people turning to dust underneath the alien uh, death rays are, it, it, it's amazing.
7: But the great and, thing is it keeps their
4: clothes intact. Right, because it yes, it does. It, and the clothes go, thum. I mean, yeah, it's just
7: floating. It's, and it's like wandering it really in reverse. It's, it's terrifying. Really it's yeah.
4: absolutely terrifying. And, you know, the thing about, I will say this, Tom Cruise, no one runs in well, terror it's like like the, better the Tom than Cruise Tom Cruise, Cruise running, running <laughs> super that cut, guy's right. running at full tilt and you see yep. it on his face he's like I don't know what's happening but I'm getting the hell out of Dodge and and while the movie kind of falls apart in the second half the first half of this movie not just the first half an hour but the first half all the way up to the fairy sequence pretty extraordinary Totally falls apart in the second. I
3: My my issue with this movie, I mean, there are things that I like about it, but th- my issue with this film is the aliens are galactically stupid. I, I don't understand how they develop the technology to like to cross galaxies to invade the earth. The, the scene in the farmhouse, right? In the barn is just ridiculous. Like I sat yeah. there in the theater wanting to throw things. Like, because I'm thinking today with the technology we have, we could see those people inside that barn, target them, and kill them. And somehow the aliens can't. It was just there were so many things that were like that that just sort of felt like it's it's like it was designed to be cool rather than to be smart. Well, which made the
7: aliens bananas. were overconfident and they thought they were, they were super f- cocky and thought used thought bad they technology. Were fully vaccinated, but they weren't. They weren't. Uh, nope. And that's what happened. they did
3: not practice uh, intergalactic social distancing.
7: I, I think I think the movie just falls flat during the scene in in that uh, in that abandoned house with Tim yep. Robbins. Yeah, yeah 100 no, percent. Robin scene is atrocious. It is. Well, also, look,
4: it becomes small. This yeah. movie, it, 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 this movie is inexplicable in terms of its narrative thrust. It's epic. It, it's it's yeah. it's you you see an entire freeway system just taken out yeah. by, I mean, Martians. And, but, the, the, and, the, and, and, and then I, at the end, you're in a, you're, you're in a house, you're in a basement in a house for like 20 minutes. I yeah, understand people insane. are
7: yelling, but Darren, that scene was in the book. How could you say that? Yeah. The book, it was a terrible scene. The book. No, it's not a terrible scene in the book because the book is a small story where big things are happening around that we don't right. know about.
3: Well, no, no, it's just not just, it's not that it's a, a terrible scene because of that, because right. you're right. Like it's just a, like on its On his face. Like it just doesn't work.
6: It's just wrong for the movie.
7: It's wrong for the movie, and everything comes to a screeching halt.
6: Yeah, you know, look, this is part of an era of Spielberg, and God, I love Spielberg movies, and I love Spielberg, but this is part of an era where he could not stick the third act landing on anything he did. War of the Worlds, Minority Report, which is brilliant until that last act where it turns into a bad law and order AI goes one act too far mm-hmm. I mean all these movies where he just the ending just falls apart but the setup is so good and War of the Worlds you're right it's a great setup it's like Independence Day it's epic and then well, um, strike that reverse it <laughs> yeah okay right but um, but uh, it, it then it gets really claustrophobic and that ending where you know his family has miraculously
7: survived oh, yeah no' you know, we're- We've been in the house all the time. The whole time. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> Shit, Dad, we were waiting
3: for we're, you, we're man. okay. We've been Where'd waiting. Been?
6: And, and it's just such, um, it, it, it just it just takes any of the gravitas uh, 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 that it may have had out of it and just makes it sort of silly. But, um, but, but there's still, some great set pieces. It's,
7: it's in our list because it's impressive.
6: Indeed. And speaking of impressive, number 63. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fall asleep in 1973 and wake up in the year 2173, find out that the everything you knew was gone and you were living in the middle of a totalitarian society. Well, yes. clearly Woody Allen did because Sleeper is the story of Miles Monroe, a mild mannered health food store proprietor who wakes up in the year of 2173, and and this is his his homage, his ode to Charlie Chaplin. There's some wonderful comedic set pieces and just really memorable humor. I, I, one of the the great scenes is uh, they're trying to find out about the past because all memories of the past. So they're showing these videos to uh, Miles Monroe to Woody and uh, it's Howard Cosell. And then, and they're playing Howard Cosell and they say, we believe that in the past, this was used to torture people. And he goes, yes, that's exactly right. And, um, it, it, it's so much fun there. You know, there's, there's a lot of great slapstick comedy. This is part of the oeuvre, which is considered Woody's early funny ones, quote unquote. And even though I, I prefer bananas and I love and death sleeper is um, sleeper's a sleeper. It's, 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 it's fun. It's a hoot. Diane Keaton, you know, brings that, so that scrappy screwball comedy, uh, um, uh, a kind of uh, performance to her role is Luna. Uh, she's hysterical and lovely, and uh, there's some really great set pieces and it's, it's uh, laugh out loud funny. It definitely stands the test of time, um, and uh, it's our pick for number 63, Woody
2: Allen's Sleeper. Excuse me, Mr. Allen? Is that your new movie you're working on? This? No. I'm a clarinet player in 1973. I go into the hospital for a lousy operation. I wake up 200 years later and I'm Flash Gordon. What's the name of the film? The name of the film is Sleeper. Basically, it's an intellectual film. Most of the scenes in it are of a cerebral, almost didactic nature. And there's very little overt comedy in the film. What type of role do you play? I play a generally calm, subdued, in control leading man. It's a dignified role. You're the alien! You won't give me away, will you? You're a nice person.
1: (laughs) I knew I I could count on you.
2: What's Sleeper about? Sleeper's a highly charged, emotional love story that's tender and romantic. I hate you, Mike! Try not to get upset. That is between myself and Diane Keaton. I'm Luna! Luna, remember? Luna! Your name is not Luna, is it? I chose Diane because she's a very beautiful actress. I wanted to make use of the natural qualities in her face. She's kind of graceful, and um, there's a certain animal intelligence about her that we utilize throughout the film. It's hard to believe that you haven't had sex for 200 years. 204 if you count my marriage. There's no violence in the film at all. It's a uh, quiet, easy, piece of family entertainment. Will there be a special price for children? No, but anyone uh, uh, accompanied by an incoherent person gets in for half price. Woody Allen and Diane Keaton in Sleeper, a love story about two
5: people who hate each other 200 years in the future.
7: Number 62, Darren Docterman is back. It's, it's back to me because uh, number 62 is a, it's a favorite of mine. It's uh, i think it's the best of the star Wars knockoffs that came out uh, after mm. Star Wars. Um, it, uh, it came out in 1984. Another, you know, it's a really good year for uh, science fiction movies uh, in addition to 1982. It's, um, no 1982. it's no 1982, but uh Another uh, pioneer in the uh, in the technology of CG and uh, and uh, computer visual effects is *The Last Starfighter*.
10: Come on, Alex, are here. Alex Rogan had a dream.
1: You really are leaving here, aren't you?
10: To be as far away from here as possible.
0: You get your chance. When
10: it comes, you gotta grab it with both hands.
5: It started with a game.
1: you gonna bust the record.
5: But it wasn't just any game.
1: You
0: have been
5: recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. And then, one night. Centauri's the name. We have to talk about a matter of utmost importance. Step into my office. I've seen him come and I've seen him go, but you're the best, my boy. Light years ahead of the competition. Hey. Alex didn't find his dream.
1: Hey, look out! Oh, dear. Hey.
5: His dream found him. Where are we? Welcome to Rylos, my boy. A world on the brink of destruction. You were recruited by the Star League to defend... To
2: defend the frontier against Xur and the Kodan Armada.
5: Of all the life forms, on all the planets, in all the galaxies... chosen Alex Rogan Alex Alex is the last starfighter for every Earthling who's ever imagined traveling beyond the stars
1: maybe there is a
0: starfighter left
9: I love you Alex Rogan
5: is the unforgettable story of one who made it Wah-ha!
10: the last Starfighter,
7: uh, directed by Nick Castle, who incidentally was the shape in the original Halloween. Uh, it is really a lot of fun. It is uh, the, the writer described it as uh, the Camelot story in space. Mm. Where, where the boy uh, it takes this test. The test is playing the, uh, the video game, The Last Starfighter, or it's just called Starfighter. And uh, he gets the high score and this triggers a, uh, a crazy alien from, uh, from the planet of Rylos uh, to come and find him. Because... Not Risa, Rylos. Not Risa, Rylos. It's a whole different movie. And, uh, <laughs> and this alien comes to recruit him to join the starfighter league uh, you hey, know Star- well the then then uh, is is the alien that is his uh, robert is, is preston robert preston as centauri who is the he's kind of a fast salesman kind of uh, kind of guy very close to his character in the music man but he's wonderful in this he is uh He he's exactly the kind of uh, person that if I were having to go into space, I would want him to be my guide. Um, It's uh, it's so much fun. It's you know it's the it's the Star Wars story. Lance guest is Alex Rogan, who lives in a trailer park and uh, he dreams of bigger things.
4: And he now has a big podcast. And he
7: was going to go down to the space
4: station. Lance Patrick has a podcast. No, Alex Rogan. I was making last guest joke.
7: Sorry. Oh Oh, no, you're thinking of Joe Rogan.
4: I I know it's his brother.
7: Um, and uh, but it's it's so fun. It's uh, the it doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, when we get onto space, there's uh, lots of uh, wacky alien types that uh, he steps on the tentacle of one, and uh, uh, and uh, everyone else is sort of bug-eyed creatures. The the movie looks beautiful. It was uh, uh, production designed by Jim Bissell, who did E.T. But uh, most of the uh, hardware and aliens were designed by the great. Ron Cobb, and um, it's so much fun, and uh, it's a, a cute little adventure, and it's the first time that uh, computer visual effects were used to replace physical models. Um, and say what you want about the technology at the time, but uh, when it came out, it looked amazing.
4: And uh, cool. uh, you know, also, I love the idea that the aliens in this movie had enough of an understanding of human behavior and culture that they use video games to yeah. find their warriors. You yeah. know, I, I always thought that was, that was pretty sophisticated.
7: And there's a, there's a funny line in it where uh, Centauri is saying, do you know how hard it was for me to develop the game and get it into the stores by Christmas? <laughs> it's just <laughs> hilarious. Um, but it's so much fun. And I, I love this movie and the score is so good. Yep. Uh, uh,
6: Craig Safin. Fantastic. No,
7: that's the right stuff.
6: No, yeah, that's the right stuff. Well, it's similar to that.
7: Dun, 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 dun. Oh,
6: yeah, yeah. Well, the same thing. Same, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
7: Greetings, Starfighter. Thanks. <laughs> Good also, stuff. It has the death blossom. It does have death blossom, whatever it's that
1: awesome.
3: is. Which sounds like something Super that you would get at the Outback
1: right well, it's
7: something that you wouldn't want to order at the
3: outback right exactly but it's i think amazing. we have ordered it
7: at the outback
6: i'll have the death blossom thank you yeah oh my god yeah great choice uh for number 62 beloved cult classic the last starfighter which brings us to number 61 and ashley edward miller
3: uh, number 61 is an interesting piece of, uh, of science fiction that, that manages to not only be great um, speculative fiction in terms of, uh, of science, but also has quite a lot to say about society. Um, and uh, number 61 is Andrew Nichols' uh, 1997, not just cult classic, but classic uh, Gattaca.
10: Genetics. What can it mean? The ability to perfect the physical and mental characteristics
3: of every unborn child. Of genetic
9: engineering to choose the genes.
10: In the not too distant future, our DNA will determine everything about us. A minute drop of blood saliva or a single hair determines where you can work, who you should marry, what you're capable of achieving. In a society where success is determined by science, divided by the standards of perfection, One man's only chance How do you expect to pull this off? I don't know exactly. Is to hide his own identity. This is the last day that you're going to be you and I'm going to be me. By borrowing someone else's.
8: Congratulations. What about the interview?
10: That was it.
1: Do you think you'd be doing what you're doing if it wasn't for who you are? What you are.
10: I have a feeling you might be there under false pretenses playing somebody else's hand. they have got my
8: picture plastered up all over the place. They'll recognize me. They won't recognize
0: me. They'll
5: recognize me. I don't recognize you. They won't believe that one of their elite
2: could have suckered them all this time. They are going to find me.
10: But in a place where any cell from any part of your body can betray you, how do you hide when we all shed 500 million cells a day? Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman. Welcome to Gattaca.
3: And again, uh, in the fine tradition of Inglorious Trexverse in the 430 movie, we will pronounce it forthwith as Gattaca. 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 Uh, is, uh, it's, it's a really fascinating story. Um, Ethan Hawke uh, stars as a, uh, as a guy named Vincent, who is labeled as an invalid, uh, because he is considered genetically deficient. He is not genetically perfected, uh, like others around him. And because of that, he and other invalids uh, are doomed essentially to be doing um, you know uh, just you know lower class work you know they they're janitors they, they, they don't get to like um, you know become astronauts you know or do cool stuff they don't like they're not considered to uh, to be as capable um, and Vincent is determined uh, to find a way to go to space uh, and the, the, he the way that he, comes up with is fairly fascinating. He, uh, he encounters uh, a character played by Jude Law um, who is a, a valid, uh, who was in a, a terrible accident that left him uh, paraplegic. Um, he could no longer do anything uh, but sit around. And so uh, this, so Jude Law's character, Jerome donates his DNA uh, to Vincent so that Vincent can pretend to be him and, uh, and try to become the navigator uh, for a mission to Saturn, and what we—the message of the movie is that um, that our destinies are not necessarily dictated uh, by our genes. That uh, that that will uh, and determination and grit and resourcefulness matter. Uh, and that having all of the genetic advantages in the world don't mean anything unless you possess those traits as it kind of tells the story of both Vincent and Jerome Vincent a man who begins with nothing and achieves everything and Jerome a man who was born with everything um, and in the end is is left with literal oblivion uh, and it's a it's a beautifully made movie it's a it's kind of a slow burn um, but it earns it it's it is relentlessly interesting um it's really kind of oddly beautiful to to look at um and it's just it's smart and it and it really sticks with you
4: i love this movie and um y- you know what i love about the film is our main character aspires to be a star voyager space traveler he wants to go into space and you know he's a, a human some being kind of star trek it, well, I was going to say, he <laughs> reminds me, uh, uh, Ethan Hawk's character reminds me of Spock mm. in that you know Spock lived on a planet where he was, well, a half-breed. And he had to be better than the average bear. He had to be better than the the average Vulcan. He, yeah. And so, um, to me, I saw Ethan Hawk's commitment, his character has to go through hell because uh, they have to add height, or either they have to add height to him, they take it away, they have to saw his... Bones down. I mean, he undergoes horrible pain uh, in order to to do this. I mean, the what he's trying to do, and then it becomes it's a romance. It's um, it's a it's a song about a song. It's a movie about brothers who are rivals. Um, it, it's it's a really wonderful uh, movie, and the you know the uh, the title is Gattaca is actually um, uh, the the, the, the four, it's based on the four nucleobases of DNA. Yeah, So uh, that came up with it, with the title. I, I, I love this movie. I love the score. I love the way it's shot. Um, it uh-huh. shows how a, a relatively low budget film can look slick and futuristic simply by using production design and, and locations. Um, the actors are Jude Law is incredible. It's a wonderful movie.
6: It's interesting because Andrew Nicole was Chris Nolan before Chris Nolan. And, uh, Unfortunately, he made one too many box office bombs. I think it was Simone that sort of was the end of the beginning of the end. for. Nicole. I think Gattaca
7: was one of them, actually.
6: Gattaca did okay. It, you, know, um, you know, and he had a great cast. I, I think it did okay. It did okay. Um, it did. Yeah, not great, if I, re, I recall. But yeah, it's a terrific movie. It's, it's, it's smart sci-fi, great cast. Uma Thurman also is in it. it who's wonderful. And uh, a really great movie. Uh, which which brings us uh, to from
4: Russia with love number sixty, Rob Burnett. Well, uh, talk about slow burns. I mean, this might be the slowest burn film of all time. Um, Andre Tarkovsky's 1979
2: film, Stalker. <laughs> И станут беспомощными, как дети. Потому что слабость велика, а сила ничтожна. Когда человек родится, он слаб и гибок. Когда умирает, он крепок и черст. Черствость и сила спутники смерти. Гибкость и слабость выражают свежесть бытия.
4: Based on Arcady and Boris Dragatsky's novel Roadside Picnic, they also wrote the screenplay for this film. Uh, this is the story of three people um, that go into the zone, which is a mysterious we don't know why this is happening, but if you get to the in the zone and you get to a room, all of your wishes or whatever it is you desire will come true, um, <laughs> which sounds exciting. I mean, you're thinking, "Wow, that sounds like uh, annihilation." No, this is not annihilation, even though it's similar. Um, it's it, like all Russian films of the time. It's very much a, a product of the Soviet era, and I mean, they'll 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 show the a, a, a single train shot for ten minutes, and Andre Tarkovsky is not exactly the uh, he's certainly not Michael Bay and uh, he's never
7: been accused of being
1: cutty.
4: Yeah, no, Um, and and even montage. I mean, I have to say that I've I've tried to explain to people when you're watching a foreign film, you have to put yourself in a different mindset. American audiences, I would say, are are very hard pressed to watch this movie and get anything out of it. And and I'll say that as somebody who is a Tarkovsky fan, when I saw it for the first time, I got to see it in the theater. I had, I I was waiting. It came to our local landmark theater in Seattle. It, this was a rough sit. It was rough. You know, it's almost it's three hours long, and and it's like these podcasts. <laughs> it's it's very, it's very difficult also to a tough vlog. But I would say the main characters, the stalker, the writer, and the professor. The writer and the professor are going into this zone for various reasons of their own. The stalker is the character that's taking them into the zone. <laughs> mm. And um it's it's very much an existential film. It obviously making this movie might have even killed its director, Tarkovsky, who because they were they were shooting in highly toxic environments, because that's what Soviet that's what Russia you do was when like.
6: you're making a movie.
4: Yeah, it was just not good. But I I love this film. I love this movie. If you can put your mind in the place it needs to be to watch it, you have to understand that there's no plot to speak of. Not really. And it, it's a tone poem, like many of Tarkovsky's movies are and it this movie is actually about consciousness and and humanity and and it is it asks really interesting existential questions about life like what do you want your life to be and and in a way that most people especially nowadays would never ask um, it's a beautiful film it's so Beautifully shot, but it is not something that you're going to find. You're, 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 when it's over, you're not going to be like, oh my God. It's not like you had the sugar rush of, say, huh. Infinity War. I mean, this is a movie that it's a slog to sit through. And when it's over, you're going to say to yourself, oh my God, I'm so glad it's over. But if you bring the right mindset into the film, you might really find yourself uh, enjoying it. Well, number 59 is a movie
6: where nothing can go wrong, go wrong, go wrong. Michael (laughs) Crichton's Westworld. MGM presents Westworld.
9: Your attention, please. We will soon be landing at Westworld, the ultimate resort.
1: We
2: have you on grid five, over. It
9: consists of three worlds of the past.
2: Locking in now.
9: Worlds where you can live out your every fantasy. There's Roman world, the lusty decadent delights of Imperial Pompeii. Notify ground
0: crews. Medieval
9: world, chivalry and combat in 13th century Europe, and West World. Lawless violence on the American frontier of the 1880s. Each resort is maintained by reliable computer technology and peopled by lifelike robot men and women
0: let's stand by for resort activation ready on six on five on four on three on two activate now
9: our robots are programmed to provide you with an unforgettable vacation
0: dinner at seven breakfast at 6 30. get lunch on your own don't look like much here but we have everything you mean to tell me he's a robot what'll it be uh Vodka martini on the rocks with
8: a
5: twist of lemon. Very dry, please. Just give him whiskey. He's new in town. Many elements of the Delos resort are potentially dangerous. That's part of the appeal. Go on. You
1: say something, boy. Kill that. Your move.
9: Our technology is designed to provide all this in complete safety. In Westworld, frustrations find release. Desire ends in satisfaction. Let me And all in a controlled environment.
8: That's not supposed to happen.
9: We know you'll enjoy your stay in Westworld. Hold it. The ultimate resort. Let me
0: do it this time.
9: Where nothing... Nothing can possibly go wrong. Shut. Go wrong. Raw. Go wrong. Oh my God. Shut down. Shut down immediately.
10: Westworld, the
5: ultimate resort. Boy, do we have a vacation
6: for you. For you. For you. For you. And Westworld is such a nifty conceit. In fact, it's so nifty, they did a so sequel. Nifty. They did did a sequel
7: and he, and he wrote it again as Jurassic Park.
6: Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But there was also the short lived CBS TV show beyond Westworld, which did not make our countdown of greatest TV episodes. And uh, of course, more recently, HBO did a TV series that Darren worked on called Westworld. Um, But it's such a great idea. It's like, what if Disneyland, uh, you know, the robots, the animatronics were real, you know, and you could interact and go to all these places like Samurai world and, and the you know Western town, and what if you were hunted? You know, <laughs> had a gu- gunfight with Yul Brenner for the Magnificent Seven. You know, and as Chris, and uh, and then what if everything went wrong? And uh, and 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 it's so funny because for years they talked about remaking this. Is I know Arnold Schwarzenegger was attached for a while. It's such a juicy premise, and as Darren said, it was so juicy. He remade it with dinosaurs. But uh, it's not a particularly expensive movie. Future World, its sequel was even less. But uh, it's really enjoyable. It has a great cast with James Brolin and um, Richard Benjamin. Um, And uh, it's just, you know, you can feel the delight. And he he takes the money, the little money he has to work with, and makes Delos feel interesting and futuristic. You know, they arrive on that monorail. And, you know, it's sort of smart because it's sci-fi in the future, but yet, they're doing the old west so it's, you, know, you can keep you can do it for price
7: it's a way better script than a movie
6: ah, i don't know about that
7: the, the movie the movie is very much uh 70s cheapo it looks extremely cheap um, it was it was cheap it was. It was, but it but it looks that way um but it's but effective the ideas it's... in it and the moments in it are really good uh if you can get past the the goofy cheap parts they spent Sloppy more with money on, I think,
6: uh, lunch on the new TV yeah. show than they spent making the movie. Well, and, I, and, I, and I, then I'll try watching Future years, World, which is even cheaper. Or, oh, Future well, World. We gotta,
4: we gotta mention that though, you can't talk about Westworld without mentioning Yul Brenner. You cannot as, as, as the gun. It's a fire. show with
3: everything, but no wait, it actually has Yul Brenner.
4: He's big, yeah, he's basically playing his character from the Magnificent Seven, yeah. like dressed the same way, which is which is a weird kind of a pop culture thing. And I think for the audience, we're like, oh, it's that guy, you know, and, and it's like and, having William Shatner playing William Shatner in a movie. It's very similar to that. And it's it's really well done. And what what's funny is. Richard Benjamin, who, who is the lead, he has such a winsome, goofy quality him like he's like, what? Isn't this great? This he's is like- Fantastic. He's, he's, he's so like brilliant. a
7: kid. This place is
6: great.
4: Yeah, it's, it's I mean really fun. it's
6: exactly how you would react if you yes. were in a play if the
4: Westworld was real. It's as if Stephen
7: yeah, First was, was playing his character. Well, also, what I love,
4: <laughs> what I love is that there it's James Brolin and, and uh Richard Benjamin are like best friends, and visually James Brolin is very much the, a swarthy, hunky man of the time. And Richard Benjamin kind of looks and feels kind of goofy. Yeah. And yeah. and they really cast this well. And you know, because the audience is on James Brolin's side. We're like, I want to be that guy, right? And yeah, and definitely. and Richard Benjamin's the goofy friend, and they certainly use that to great effect to subvert yes. our expectations. No, and no, absolutely, uh, I love that about this movie. Oh, no, no. Darren, yeah. I
9: would
3: submit to you, and I think you would probably agree, that if we have learned anything in the last ten to fifteen years, I think that uh, I think we would all rather have. Uh, Movies that have great turns and moments and characters and cool parts that look cheap. And movies that look incredibly polished and expensively
7: done um, that have none of those other
4: things. But if only we agree. Can... Okay. I agree.
7: And I, I know that Darren, I'm I, not- I agree, I, agree I, to a point, yeah. but I think that we're good enough to have both. I agree.
6: Keep dreaming. I agree with Ashley. Um, you know, it's interesting. You talk about, uh, you know, uh, Yul Brenner playing himself. Did you see Curb Your Enthusiasm and see um, Albert Brooks playing himself? Yep. Yeah. That was great. But you know what's so weird? They got Vince Vaughn, but he's not playing himself. He's not. Vince. And, it's, and it's weird because everyone else who's kind of a named person plays themselves, themselves on the yeah. show. So when Vince Vaughn isn't Vince Vaughn, it's very
7: disconcerting.
0: Well, they,
4: they probably worried that the
0: people wouldn't know who the hell Vince Vaughn was.
4: I don't know. i would like to point out one more thing about west westworld you know not curb no there there was something to be said for uh, the verve and the wit of 70s and 80s low budget genre films because they could come up with these premises and i know that it was this is michael Crichton, you know mr er creator himself but the premises of these low budget b movies they were the things that attracted us because we wanted, we, we want to go, you, the viewer wants to go to Westworld. Yeah. I mean, it's like, why isn't that place real? And I think all- And then they the, show you what. Well. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> all of the great uh, premises of these low budget, I call them, you know, B movies or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to talk about them if you- uh, Don't tell David Chewie that. Yeah, I know, right. A few titles mm-hmm. now, I'll talk about that. But I, this is one of those, It's a. it's an irresistible premise. And the audience is so like, I want to go there. Yeah. You know, it's and, and such when, a great premise. Such a great premise, and you, 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 even though people start dying, you're like, I want to go there. You, because who wouldn't want to go there?
7: Well, the, so the, good. Poor, the poor folks who died in medieval world is, are just pathetic.
6: <laughs> That's true. That's a good point.
7: But yeah, it's so great because it's
6: it's all the ultimate wish fulfillment, and yeah. it almost is like a classic Star Trek episode. You know, it's like like Shore Leave or something. Yeah, it's you like right. Shore Leave. <laughs> And, and yeah, you see, you got you gotta admire her for that. You just don't run into Ruth. Okay. So uh, that brings us to number 58.
7: And I've I've given this one to Rob because I think he, he would have more fun
4: with it. And and Rob Burnett, tell us what we've won. Uh well, this movie comes to us from a director who I believe it's his first. Hang on, let me check. Yes, his first it is. feature. And he was Alex Garland who wrote things like The Beach uh, for Danny Boyle, or I think he wrote the book it was based on. Uh, This is first his directorial effort, and it's basically the story of a a tech baron, uh, an Elon Musk type or a Steve Jobs type who uh, owns a Apple kind of company. I mean, he's a very mysterious figure who awards one of his employees the opportunity to come mysteriously come to his domicile that exists in the midst of a gigantic oh, glacier a, a, a glacier shot in wherever Norway whatever uh, a place away from people and he has created an iteration of an artificial intelligence a, a an android and he has Norman? what's that? Norman? yeah like Norman in Star Trek Um, and, uh, Alicia, uh, uh, who's now married to, uh, um, Magneto, Michael,
6: Michael Michael Fassbender,
4: (laughs) Michael Fassbender. Um, and, and the, the idea is, and this is a great science fiction setup. The idea is that how can you tell if an AI, the Turing test, how can you tell if, if, if an AI is real or is sentient or, and that's what this is is based on.
7: Is not faking sentience.
4: Yes. And it it is a actually there's four characters but it seems like there's three at, at first the the android, uh, General Hux from the first order, <laughs>
1: General Hux, and yeah, uh, right.
4: of course no. General
6: Hux is great in it,
4: and uh, he's great, and of course, uh, well Poe Dameron, yeah. So you actually have the first order versus the rebellion, um, but once again, it it it, it is a first of all it's a fascinating film, uh, looking at what our, our potential future about artificial intelligence may entail. And the idea of, should we be, are, are, it, does AI deserve human morality? Do, does AI deserve to be treated with respect? And I believe it does. And, and sentience, whether it's artificial or, or, or organic, deserves to be treated respectfully. And this movie- And not
3: download porn all the time.
4: Yeah, no, and 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 AI shouldn't just be used for porn, and it's a really fascinating character study, and you know uh, you could talk about absolute power corrupting absolutely, but this film is positively apocalyptic, because mm-hmm. when you get to the end of it, at least what I took away from it, this film is that we have we we are the orchestrators of our own demise, but we'll never see it coming because we're looking in the wrong directions. Right, and it's about compassion and, and empathy, how that could change the course of of human behavior or, or, or human destiny. And uh,
1: yeah,
7: but the but the problem is the uh, General Hux character shows empathy and is a is a good human being. In it and he gets screwed over too.
4: But it's too late. I mean, it's too late because because the the General Hux character, <laughs> General <laughs> Hux. Uh, General Hux is just there to supposedly to reinforce our egomaniacal main character. Uh, Poe Dameron believes that he's created this amazing. He, he, he has a God complex. Sure. And what God wants is one of his minions to uh, uh, clarify that he is indeed God. And... Uh, but is this malice? It goes wrong. Yes, I am God. <laughs> Who do you think they're praying to? I mean, it's just, it's, and it is, on one hand, it's a fascinating character study, it's a great science fiction film, it is a great cautionary tale, and it's a love story.
6: And to Darren's point, they're still making low-budget movies with big ideas, hence Ex Machina.
4: How long until we get to over his estate for the past two hours.
2: Caleb, I'm just going to throw this out there so it's said, okay? You're freaked out. You're freaked out to be meeting me, having this conversation in this room at this moment, right? But can we just get past that? The whole employer-employee thing?
8: It's good to meet you, Nathan. It's good to meet you too, Caleb. Okay? This building isn't a house. It's a research facility.
5: And I want to talk to you about what I'm researching. You want to see something cool?
2: You are dead center of the greatest scientific event in the history of man.
9: Hello. Hi.
8: Do you have a name? Ava. Answer me this.
9: How do you feel about
8: her? Her AI is beyond doubt. No, nothing analytical. Just, how do you feel? I feel
3: that she's amazing.
9: Do you want to be my friend? Of course. Will it be possible?
7: Why would it not be? Did you know that Nathan brought me here to test you? Caleb.
9: You're wrong.
0: Wrong about what?
9: Nathan. You shouldn't trust anything he says.
6: Does Ava actually like you? Or is she just pretending to like you? Self-awareness, manipulation, sexuality...
9: Are you attracted to
6: me? Now, if
0: that isn't true AI, what is?
9: Caleb, here's something I want to show
7: you. Can we talk about the lies you've been
0: spinning me? What lies? Today, I'm
7: going to test you. Why me?
9: Caleb, you have to help me.
7: What's the real test?
9: You! It's strange to have made something that hates you. What will happen to me if I fail your test?
6: Which was made relatively very little money. Most of it went to the visual effects but of they, the robots. they do
7: spend their money very well. They, and yeah, and I would say this won an well Academy
4: Award for visual effects. And um, uh, this film is a perfect example. To me, this is great, heady science fiction. Uh, on a low budget that that lives and breathes because of the writing and the acting, the characters. So it's no Saturn exact-
6: 3, though. No. Okay. You know, and, and 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 you know, to, you know, something you were a bigger fan of, it gave Alex Garland a directing career and allowed him to do the Devs miniseries, which I know, Darren, you were a big fan of. I
4: love it. Yeah. Love it, too. The, the The second to last episode of that show put me in an existential crisis, yeah. not since uh, we tried to write Free Enterprise in the Hubble Telescope deep, deep uh, picture, whatever it's called <laughs> in National Geographic. Fuck me up.
6: Oh, God, what sad is I remember that. Okay, <laughs> so uh, that was X Machina and at number 57, Darren, it's another remake.
7: It's another remake. I I did the original uh, a couple episodes ago. This is... A couple uh, of years ago. Well, this is uh, 1986, The Fly.
2: I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me.
8: Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over.
7: Yeah, but they're not working on something that will change the world as we know it.
2: They say they are.
7: Yeah, but they're lying.
5: There is a limit, even to the imagination.
2: Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown and reformation is inherently purging. (laughs)
5: where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears.
1: Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong.
5: You are about to go beyond that limit.
8: Those weird hairs that were growing out of your back, I had them analyzed. They were definitely not human.
1: If you saw how scared and angry and desperate
7: he is... I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very nice person, too, when you saw her socially. No! You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? You're changing, Seth.
8: Everything about you is changing.
4: Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? I want to know what's going on!
1: What does the disease want? It
10: wants to turn me into something else. Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when i was
5: alone don't go back to it It could be contagious
8: Uh, i'm afraid don't be afraid no be afraid be very afraid Ah!
7: produced by mel brooks and uh of course uh you know it's it's an amazing remake uh and it's uh, directed by david cronenberg uh and the adaptation is so much better than the original in my opinion it is an actual human story and it's heart it's it's uh, heart-wrenching it's fascinating it's kind of fun and frightening as hell uh the the great jeff goldblum in probably my favorite role that he's played uh oh. plays seth brundle I like him in those commercials huh. with the, the the how rental rental.com or something
4: i don't yeah. i don't watch
7: tv much so i wouldn't okay. know about
4: that um and speed and brown shoe come on that's yeah, right now we're talking
7: <laughs> uh new jersey um new jersey (laughs) we'll get to that we'll Uh, get there jeff Goldblum is so freaking good as this uh crazed scientist who uh gets car sick
4: seth brundle
7: he that's what i said brundle fly yes he uh he says he he puked on his uh uh tricycle that's that's what it was um but it's such a, a, a strange and funny love story between him and uh, uh, Gina Davis, who plays a, uh, uh, a writer for a, a magazine uh, called Particle Magazine, which is sort of like an omni, uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. They, their love story parallels his developing of this, uh, what he calls the uh, telepods, which are Basically, a transporter to uh, transport someone from one place to another without moving. Um, no, it's uh, it's great sci-fi, and uh, unfortunately, as we know, uh, during a, a, a drunken uh, experiment, uh, Jeff Goldblum goes in the pod and teleports himself, but unbeknownst to him at the time, a a harmless fly is trapped in the telepod and combined with him on the genetic level on the other end, he doesn't come out with a big fly head and a big claw. Um, his uh, transformation is more subtle and more horrifying, frankly. Um, it, it sort of gives what him. what happened in Star Trek? Uh, well, it's because uh, they were, they uh, had uh, much more uh, uh, safeties involved with the Heisenberg compensator. Maybe
6: that's that. why McCoy right. was afraid of beaming. Well, he yeah, saw maybe movie. maybe McCoy he saw he didn't want to be oh, a Brundle movie.
3: McCoy, Brundle
7: McCoy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's such a great movie. There are some great scenes and great speeches. Uh, uh, Goldblum gives almost a Shatnerian uh, 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 diatribe at uh, lunch as he's telling the uh, the positive aspects of uh, teleportation. Um, it's it's great. I love it, and it's uh, it's it's a little bit gory, but. It's not real gore. I mean, except for the
4: uh, monkey that's turned inside out.
6: Rob, you're a huge Cronenberg fan. This is huge. probably his most accessible film, wouldn't you say?
4: Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it, it's it, this came out in the summer of 1986 where Fox had three films coming out that yeah. aliens, they had Big Trouble in Little China and they had uh, The Fly. And who would have thought that this film would? I mean, people love this movie this to me is the culmination of all of David Cronenberg's body horror films of the seventies. Yep. Shivers rabid, the brood, videodrome scanners, all rolled into one. And uh, the fact that it's a remake is irrelevant because this is so, so far removed from the original The fly Uh, this film, you know, to what I watched this movie recently. And while the ending is a bit of a bummer, to be honest, Uh, This film has lost none of its power because it has one of those you you, as a human being, the revulsion you 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 feel, but you also understand why it happens. I mean, as his literally his body is falling apart, you know, as he transforms, Mm. you both are you, you you feel for him, you're revolted by him and you're like any great movie puts the audience in the mind of the protagonist. It's basically
7: (laughs) a story of how uh, the horrible process of having a loved one that is dying of a disease.
4: Yes. I mean, that's exactly right. And it is the revulsion you feel, but the fascination at the same time, uh, Cronenberg plays these, these, these things beautifully. Yeah. And it's a fantastic film that's lost none of its power. And Chris Wayless visual effects. I mean, his physical, probably his physical effects. Yeah. My God, the makeup effects they rival to, in my mind in terms of the 80s John Carpenter is the thing with Rob Bottin's effects and Chris Walas's effects
6: well wow, and Rick Baker so in American
4: Werewolves mm-hmm. and yes Rick Barry, absolutely yeah 81, 82, and 86 i mean because
6: these, this this is one of a string of great remakes in the 80s yeah. you know now remakes are a dirty word but you know a lot of these 50 movies whether it be the, the thing or or um, the, even cat people really were getting these really elevated remakes at the time but they were and doing the something is- different
4: Right. You no, know, they exactly. were they were they were they were doing something vast like nowadays you see remakes and it, it's like paint by numbers. But yeah. but these guys went back and they were they took the concept they embraced I mean,
7: the concept. They embraced the concept and, they, the concept
4: and, they, and you think and Chuck expanded. Russell's uh, the blob yeah. that came out in 89, yeah. Philip Coffin's invasion of the body snatchers yeah. from 70s. Yeah, sure, certainly. I mean, and and you're this film, this movie's gonzo. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And
6: uh, coming to 56, clearly Darren will not be introducing us to the joys of this film. Instead, we have Ashley Miller to tell us about our number 56 film.
3: Coming in at number 56, uh, the crew of the Starship Enterprise makes one final voyage into the final frontier. Uh, In 1991's Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country, the klingon empire
10: has 50 years of life left to it to offer klingons a safe haven within federation space is suicide they're animals jim they are dying you captain are would be our first olive branch me the galaxy
5: stands at a crossroads this is the starship enterprise we've been ordered to escort you to your meeting on earth
8: Guess who's coming to dinner?
10: I have so wanted to meet you, Captain. One warrior to another? Right. On the verge
5: of peace.
10: The undiscovered country. The future. On the brink of war. We come in peace, and you blatantly defy that like we haven't fired. According to our databanks, we have. I shall blow you out of the stars. Now. The crew of the Starship
5: Enterprise will not be the instigators of full scale war on the eve of universal peace.
9: They're coming about.
5: Battle stations. Fights not to win battles. Incoming signal our surrender. Captain? We surrender. But to end them forever.
1: We would consider an attempt to rescue them an act of war.
8: There will never be a better time.
5: This is Captain Sulu, USS Excelsior. Is Jan ready
10: to assist you? This is fun. You do prefer it this way, or as it was meant to be.
1: Ah!
10: Warrior to warrior.
1: She cannot take much more of this. have
5: Let's slip the dogs of war fire. Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country.
6: I should have no. stopped watching Star Trek right then. That's, I think I would right. have been very happy if I had just stopped watching Star Except Trek. Trek. I,
4: I agree with you. If I had
6: just it's... stopped after five, I would be perfectly happy. <laughs> Except
3: you would have missed Deep Space Nine.
6: No, what season of Deep Space
3: things. Nine would I have missed?
6: Oh, uh, hadn't, well, it's nineteen ninety one. Oh, yeah, it I would Star Trek Phase Nine. You would have missed
4: season five, six, and seven of T. But if you yeah. don't know about it,
6: you wouldn't miss it. Yeah, That's but right. five, six, and seven of Next Gen, I could have lived without. I would right, have so been fine.
1: Okay.
3: <laughs> so, uh, it, obviously, Darren has his opinions on this film. I'm a, I happen to be a big fan of uh, of Star Trek Six. I um, you know, it's it's uh, it's one of those movies that I think. Uh, you know, we were just sort of talking about, like, uh, about you know the the idea of things kind of being cheap. And I don't think this movie looks cheap, but I do think that it's hurt by the fact that um, that you feel the next generation, uh, you know, production elements all over it. You you definitely feel the fact that it was made on those sets. Um, you feel the fact that it is it's lit in a certain way. Uh, to favor the the actors as opposed to create drama um and although i really like the story and i love like the interplay with the with the characters um i think the trip to aurora pente is fun um i think it's cool seeing the excelsior in in action there's a lot of things about this movie that i i really love and i find uh very worthy i think um to me it's maybe it's it's its biggest drawback is in some ways the mystery at the heart mm-hmm, of it. where I mm-hmm. think that if it had simply leaned into the consequences of the mystery, I think it would have been a better film. But that said, the performances are great. Um, Shatner's great. like uh, you know Christopher Plummer is completely insane. Um, always watchable. Don't Talk, wait Bob, for the translation Talk, me now. Don't wait for the exactly. do you still hear the chimes at midnight captain uh i mean come on you know uh you know the the trial scene is is cool you know it's just there's a lot of things about this movie that are cool and it feels like a a movie like in spite of the fact that it is hampered um by by some of the production considerations it's nice to see that ilm is back after taking a movie off um sadly for uh, for star trek five there's a movie that could have like greatly benefited from having had ilm uh you know at its back but that's a whole other conversation um but it's a it is a it is a fitting farewell to our crew um they save the galaxy and the good news is they're not going to prosecute uh and uh you know it's yeah. look it's,
6: there's no question that they were hampered Uh, By the low budget, but as we've established with some of these other movies, uh, if the ideas are better, bigger than the budget, so be it. And there's some great sequences, even you know, the teaser uh, with Captain Sulu um, is uh, terrific. Uh, Really great uh, set piece with the zero G assassination. Mm -hmm. Um, The the montage at the end to Cliff Cliff Eilman's score, along with all Mm -hmm. the ships converging and you know, sort of having to save the president uh, before he can be assassinated. Is a terrific sequence. I know when I got that on Laserdisc, that was my demo disc for quite a while. Um, but uh, yeah, look, is it a flawless movie? No, clearly it's not. But um, there's a lot to like about it. I, I agree. I think the mystery is the most ham-fisted part of it. I clearly, Nick Meyer, for a guy who loves Sherlock Holmes, was less interested in you know sort of figure out the mystery and we've talked about this before oh these gravity boots are rattling around in this
7: uh cabinet in
6: the room we're sitting in right now yeah
7: it's, um you know but I'm, uh i'm going to uh resist giving any comment on this because yes. because i don't want to give uh steve asbel any in, uh, ammunition uh when we debate, debate. the merits yeah. of this yeah. film Fair but enough.
4: you know what, what i what i I have a sort of interesting history with this movie. I had read the script before I saw it, and I actually went to Paramount and saw an early version of this film uh on the lot. And, you know, I was it was an NRG screening, National Research Group. I wasn't supposed to be there. This is a film that demanded not that Nicholas Meyer didn't do a great job, but it this is this wants to be the hunt for an October of Star Trek movies. It wants to be a a really uh it, obviously Nimoy had some great input into this and it was a, a cold war metaphor and all that, which is great. But the problem is the, the concepts of this film are completely undermined by the budget and, and Paramount had released hunt for Red October a year before, if they had the money and they made this feel, if it had, it, this movie just feels no matter where you go, this movie feels cheap. It doesn't, it, it is betrayed by its budget On every level and it's unfortunate because this should be the great political cold war film of the star trek era Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm.
4: and and it could have been that all the building blocks are there but because it's such a you know they they fall back i mean come on iman is in this movie I mean, iman. it's iman. iman, iman, must have iman. been your lifelong ambition. I mean, there's a lot of not everyone stuff. keeps
3: his genitals in the same place,
4: captain. I, it's all great, but it, it's it's so it's all B, it's it's an A list plot, but it's done like a B movie. Yep, and it it great. it's unfortunate.
6: I I agree, I, but it's still immensely enjoyable, which is why it's on our list, the number 56. I like it a lot. That's right, me too. Now. Ashley, if you wouldn't mind, for number fifty-five, can you science the shit out of this? God damn it! You took my joke.
3: Uh, yes, number fifty-five. We can, in fact, science the shit out of it. Uh, number fifty-five, it. as you as you might have guessed, uh, based on the uh, based on the intro, is uh, Ridley Scott's two thousand fifteen opus. Although I think he probably had some other opi uh, in two thousand fifteen. Uh, Was that also the Year of Alien Covenant? Am I crazy? Um, uh, The Martian starring Matt Damon. Matt Damon.
2: I guarantee you that at some point, everything's gonna go south on you.
1: Ready?
2: You're gonna say, this is it. This is how I end.
3: Commander Mark is dead. We have to go.
2: Now you can either accept that or you can get to work. This will come as quite a shock to my crewmates and to NASA and to the entire world. But I'm still alive. Surprise. Here's the rub. It's going to be 4 years for another mission to reach me. And I'm going to have designed the last 31 days. So I got to make water and grow food on a planet where nothing grows. But if I can't figure out a way to make contact with NASA, then none of this matters anyway. You've got an incoming message.
5: My god. <laughs> Mark Watney is still alive.
9: Whoa!
2: In your face, Neil Armstrong.
9: There must be some kind of way out of
2: here. Okay, so let's do the math. I have enough food to last for 50 days. He's going to starve to death long before we can help. Him. So, I'm gonna have to science the shit out of this. He's 50 million miles away from home. He's totally alone. What the hell is he thinking right now? I am the greatest botanist on this planet. I know how to save Mark
0: Watney. But we need the Hermes crew.
2: We either have a high chance of killing one, or a low chance of
8: killing six. I'm not risking their lives. It's bigger than one person. No. It's not.
1: NASA
0: rejected the mission.
2: So, if we do this?
0: We're talking mutiny. If anything goes wrong,
1: we die.
2: Do you realize how crazy this is? We have no other option. What happens? Tell the world, tell my family, and I never stop fighting to make it home.
3: Uh, Damon, Matt Damon, um, plays, I guess. I was gonna say he doesn't play the Martian, but he does kind of play the Martian. Oh, he, has, um, is, he, is he, he plays Zane's an astronaut a- who, uh, <laughs> due to due to an accident, uh, is is basically left on Mars, left for alone to survive. Right. right, left for dead. They realize he's alive. Um, Earth sends a uh, a rescue mission to bring him back while oh, he goes through everything that he needs to go through to survive, and a lot of it is interesting and kind of entertaining. Um, the, the rescue mission is maybe not as interesting and entertaining. The stuff with pooping and potatoes is pretty good. I like, <laughs> this is a movie potatoes? I like, don't love. Um, I admire it. It began life. It, it's unique, I think, in some ways, because it began life as a series of blog posts Uh, that were uh, a a sort of a thought experiment as, you know, as how could you survive if you were trapped on Mars and how long could you live there? And how could you make that work? Um, It ain't a place to raise your kids. We know that. (laughs) In fact, it's cold as hell. It it is cold (laughs) as hell. (laughs) Right. Uh, So it's, it's a, it's an interesting exercise. It's it's more successful as drama than I think it has any right to be. I, I think largely because of uh, of Ridley Scott's like just sort of wonderful eye and uh, and the fact that Matt Damon is game and and considering that he's like all by himself, uh, kind of pulling off I think like a really sort of terrific, engaging performance. It's you know it's funny because I'm thinking it's not I don't know. I kind of think I like it now. I'm thinking about another movie with uh, with a with an astronaut kind of by himself in a desolate place, like trying to stay alive, like Sam Rockwell and Moon. I kind of like I think it's he's not quite Sam Rockwell and Moon, but he's really great. He's incredibly watchable. Um, he's Matt Dean. Um, but we're not.
4: <laughs> well, uh, look, this, this movie is wildly entertaining uh, uh, across the board. And what I love about this film is. I've often thought that the the characters that are trying to get Matt Damon home, the NASA crew, they should make a show about them. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 secondary characters, whether it's Donald Glover, whether it's Sean Bean, you know, whether it's uh, it, the, 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 all of the actors in this film are first rate, mm-hmm. and the story is so fascinating about how Matt Damon's character uh, saves himself, and and it just everything he does, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and, worse. and you're like. How do you endure? You know, again, it's you as an audience member, put yourself in the protagonist's point of view and your position. You're like, God, would I, would I survive? And then yet, like in the best, best tradition of say Star Trek, everyone in this film is, is, is inherently good. And they're trying their hardest to bring a man home. And it is based on science and it is based on, on stellar mechanics. And there's so much in this film. It's so interesting. And you love all of these people, (laughs) and you're you're. I've never seen a film that that I I don't think I've I've been so invested in, and all of the, like when when we're on on Earth with NASA, you I want to be part of them. Let me can I be on that team? How how can we science the shit out of this? I want to be Matt Damon stuck on Mars, and I want to know you know I want to be with Jessica Chastain too. But um, uh, it's it's amazing. It's really this film is so delightful. It's so much fun to watch. And what I
6: love Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I say what I love about Ridley Scott is he's a chameleon and he's not always successful. I mean, obviously, he's made a couple of movies that just don't work. But this is a case where he does something completely different than we ever seen him do, and he nails it. He sticks the landing, um, you know, whether you're interested in science or, or not, you know, Matt Damon's character. You're so invested in that character and his fate and uh, the drama and it's beautifully shot. It it feels real and uh, it's just, you know, a terrifically entertaining and smart film. Uh, You know, it's a very smart studio picture, which there, are you know, less and less of these every year. Yeah. And, you know, he's not a superhero. He's a, you know, he's a real person in extraordinary circumstances. So that brings us to number 54. And uh, Rob, I I heard you were dead.
4: Uh, Okay. To me, one of the great, I love what I would call B-movies. We talked about The Arrival earlier. and I don't mean to say B-movie as a disparaging term, but what I love is movies that have a low budget but a high concept premise. And they've got the verve and the wit to pull it off. This next film is John Carpenter's fourth. Well, actually, it's, yeah, it's, well, Dark Star. So he did Salt on Precinct 13, he did Halloween, The Fog, and this is his fourth or fifth, if you include Dark Star. Okay. But um, uh, this film is, of course, Escape from New York. New York, 1997.
5: The entire city is a walled maximum security prison. The bridges are mined. The rivers are patrolled and the United States Police Force has everything under control. I'm going in. John Carpenter's Escape from New York, the high adventure of the future. One man must go in where no man has ever gotten out. John Carpenter's Escape from New York, The greatest escape of them all is about to blow the future apart.
4: An irresistible premise. This is one of the only movies that my father took me to that he asked me when he took me and my friends to the theater and got us. And he's like, What is this movie about? I said, Dad, it's 1997. New York is a walled maximum security prison. Breaking out is impossible, but breaking in is insane. And my dad's like, That sounds good. And he came with us. <laughs> uh, he came with us and he came and saw the movie. He like didn't know what it was about. He, he loved the, the take. Of course, this this the, uh, Kurt Russell plays Snake Plissken, who is a, a bargain basement. Clint Eastwood man with no name type. Lee Van Cleef is the warden of the New York maximum security prison. And of course, Donald Pleasance as the president of, president the of what State. he yeah, he crashes into New York and uh snake plissken has to go into new york and and break him out and he gets to meet people like adrian barbeau and and and, uh ernest borgnine and isaac hayes as the number one and new york i mean this this is this is science fiction b movie at its zenith it does not get better than this uh carpenter wrote the score uh john uh, uh james cameron did the effects some of the effects and uh, the scotax a lot of it and too. the scotax the miniature effects i mean this film is so much fun it's so amazing but it also has a great science fiction premise like what if one of the greatest cities in the world you know after a per, presumably a nuclear attack or something is turned into a, a a prison you know and what would happen if prison inmates are allowed to run free run rampant what worlds would they create and uh And we see, you know, the coolest motherfucker ever lived. That's Snake Plissken, uh, who's an outlaw. He's a former soldier. We know he fought for the military and he's picked because of his skills. Bob Hauk, played by Lee Van Cleef, knows that Snake Plissken, well, he he flew a glider into Leningrad. We don't know why. Presumably World War Three. I don't know. But he's um, he's very skilled. And uh, it's it's a man on a mission who is going into a world that we've never seen before meeting characters. We've never met before. And it is a, it is, it's evocative and it is strange and it is fun and it is entertaining and everything about this movie. I would call it delicious.
6: How do you know it's a B movie? It's a movie called escape from New York shot in St. Louis. That's
3: how you know. (laughs) I love this movie. Um, I will point out that uh there is actually like a super cool but I, I understand completely why they deleted it because it messes up the pace of the movie um there's a super cool deleted scene it's a it's a heist um that uh, with with snake uh, they're supposed to come at the beginning of the film and it's awesome except if you drop it into the film it just it's 45 minutes before the movie starts and uh I'm sorry but it's you know it's it's not 2021 and it's you know it's like you can't start it's not like Netflix. That it's not Netflix, damn it. Like the movie actually has to start when it starts, um, but it's cool. But look, what what I most appreciate about this movie is Snake Plissken. And it's not just that he's a total metric badass, right? And I love his relationship with Lee Van Cleef, which is it's super simple, but it's perfectly uh, sketched out, right? It's like, Plissken, call me Snake. And then at the end, it's like, Snake, call me Plissken. You know, it just, it's perfect. Um, but Snake Plissken has an Ock. You know, he has an arc, God damn it! Like, this is a guy who, like, who follows in a grand tradition of kind of very stoic heroes who uh, don't put their neck out for anybody. Um, they don't get emotionally involved in things. Um, you know, they might have been idealists once, uh, but, you know, the, but reality has kind of beaten that out of them. Yeah. And Snake Plissken goes on a journey in this movie. And that journey is what makes the amazing ending of this film possible. Because he gets into New York. He overcomes the, the Duke of New York, a number one. Uh, you know, he teams up with some cool characters. He rescues the president, weirdly played by Donald Pleasance, yet also it's awesome casting. He gets him out. They're getting the president ready to deliver his address. That's you know going to bring world peace. You don't even know how. It's just the MacGuffin. It's a thing, right? He's going to give an address, and he's got it on a tape. And they recover that, and Snake has it. And uh, before Snake gives it back, um, you know Snake has a question uh, for the for the president, right? And says, sure, of of, of course. Of course, Snake, anything, anything at all. And the Snake says, we got you out. A lot of people died in the process, yeah. and I just kind of wondered how you felt about it. And uh, the president says, oh, well, I, I want to thank them. Uh, they have the thanks of the, the Grateful Nation appreciates their sacrifice. And uh, Snake just kind of nods, uh-huh, and he walks off because it's, it's such a blow-off moment Right. It's like he feels blown off. But the key is his line to the president. Right. He's saying these people believed in something. They they died saving you. Tell me that means something to you, because if it means something to you, it means that the world is worth saving. And if it doesn't mean anything to you, then all of this was bullshit and fuck the world anyway. And the president gives the wrong answer. And we know this because Mm -hmm. when the president gives up to give his big speech and play the tape, that's going to bring about world peace. Uh, he plays a recording of the uh, the theme song for American Bandstand, and it's a terrific ending. Um, that is like it, that is also sort of the basis for the ending of the not great uh sequel, Escape from LA, um, where it doesn't work nearly as well. But it I, seems I to be it.
6: a trend, doesn't it? Movies yeah. that have terrible, yes, sequels.
7: sir. In your opinion, I... is Snake Plissken Jack Burton?
3: You know what i i meditate on that question a lot and i think that You're they are it. you should know mm-hmm. yeah you know
7: i i
3: i think that if i don't know that they're the but same I think
7: jack burton becomes snake Bliskin. snake
3: Bliskin. because they're both you know these guys don't stick their neck well, out for anybody they don't yeah. want to get involved in other people's problems right yeah like, but but, but once john uh, wayne and once clint eastwood That's very true. The other thing is this, right? I think you also have to look at it like, I I kind of look at it, there's like a Troika, right? There's Snake Plissken, um, there's Jack Burton. And then, and this is where it gets weird, right? Because I can't remember what his character's name is, which is strange, but Rowdy Roddy Piper and They Live. I think as much as I like They Live, it is a 49% better film if it is Kurt Russell. That's true. because that character is essentially like that same guy, kind of living in that same kind of emotional, you know, narrative space. So I, I 100% think that 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 character, um, there's a, there are versions of that character running through all of those movies. Great. Well, it's a fabulous movie, and uh, we got another fabulous
7: movie for you at number 53. Darren, tell us what it is number 53 is uh it happened in uh, the year 2000 and it introduced uh, the world to a great anti-hero in the persona of uh, vin diesel as richard riddick mm. in pitch black
1: they say most
10: of your brain shuts down and cry asleep all but the animal side I guess that's why I'm still awake.
6: If the man is gone, he's gone. Why should he bother us?
5: Maybe to take what you got.
8: Maybe to work your nerves. All you people are so scared of me. But it ain't me
9: you gotta worry about now. Whatever it is, it got Zeke and it nearly got me! Get it off me!
5: They seem to stick to darkness. So if we stick to daylight, we should be all right.
7: And David Tui, uh, his first B-movie in movie uh, director, B movie director. Um, this is, uh, you know, no matter what you may think of the sequels that came out, this is an absolutely fantastic uh, evening at the movies. Um, it's uh, it's it's basically it's kind of like a haunted house movie uh, where we have uh, uh, survivors of a, a spaceship crash onto this planet that is infested with these horrific uh, alien-like uh, harpies that are uh, flying around killing people and they, they mostly come at night, mostly. Um, but uh, the great sort of uh, uh, catch is that uh, Richard Riddick is a, is a murderer. He's a, he's a killer and he's a bad guy. And he's the only one that can save this little group of people from these uh, horrors um, because of a, uh, a curious uh, thing that uh, he hates bright light, he, it, it's painful to him. So he's always wearing these little, uh, these little uh, glasses that uh, keep his uh, view dark because he can see uh, extremely well in dark areas. And that becomes his, uh, his little uh, bonus ability that powers up to uh, be able to fight these creatures, and he—he uh, he is a ruthless killer. The creatures are ruthless killers, and it is a uh, a really fun battle as uh, they fight to survive on this uh, hellish planet.
4: And, well, yeah. you, it goes back to like—I mean, I hate to say a B movie again, but you know, these movies aren't huge budgets. But they're so clever and they're so mm-hmm. well done. And the the premise is so easily understood. It's not something that you you we get it from the very beginning. We totally understand. And what's so great about this movie is it's so well done. It's so beautifully made, beautifully directed. Mm-hmm. But the threat, the threat is so terrifically portrayed. Yeah. Uh, you gotta love it. You gotta love this. It, it's so it, interesting because
6: it's what you said, Rob. Super small. Low budget, and then you know, then he gets Greenlight a huge sequel that Darren worked on that looks amazing. And yet there's just something really special about that first film that is missing in the later iterations. Okay. Great movie, great pick by Darren. Brings us to number 52. And Ashley Miller is back in the driver's seat, bringing on the magic.
1: He's
3: back. I'm in the driver's seat with uh with a gun pointed at me by Jeff Bridges. Um we've got another small. That's just like your opinion, man. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Do you think they're the same character? They might be, They would be awesome (laughs) if they were. Um, Another entry from John Carpenter. Very uh, sort of small, uh, smaller budget, certainly, um, but very smart science fiction film um, that is incredibly emotional, um, that is beautifully rendered. Uh, It's very different from any of uh, John Carpenter's other films, and I think you know greatly to its benefit. Um, it's sad. It's cool. It's funny. It's pretty much everything that uh, that you would want uh, from a movie, and it even like has a television spinoff a couple of years later, which is pretty crazy that that it even has Terry
7: the Toad. That's
3: right. I uh, I am referring, great, by the way, in this movie to uh, John Carpenter's 1984 Starman. 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 In
8: 1977, Voyager 2 was launched into space to the outermost regions of the universe. It carried an invitation in all languages for alien life forms to visit our planet. Someone, somewhere, listened and accepted our invitation. Get ready. Someone is coming. Someone like no one she has ever known before.
10: Can you clone a living organism from the hair of a dead man?
7: We're hypothesizing a technology that's probably 100,000 years ahead of me.
8: He has powers we cannot imagine, and the face and touch of the man she loved. Oh God. I send greetings.
2: What's the matter with you? How much English do you understand?
10: I understand readings in 54 planet Earth languages. Do you seriously expect me to tell President, that an alien has landed, assumed the identity of a dead house painter, and is presently out tooling around the countryside in a hopped-up 1977 Mustang? You're not from around here, are
7: you? Think of what it would mean to talk to a being from a civilization like that.
8: Think of what we could learn. I don't understand. There isn't much time, please.
2: He doesn't want to hurt anybody. Can't you just leave him alone? What the hell ever happened to good parents? We invited him here!
8: So far to come. So much to do. So little time to fall in love. Look up. Company's coming. John Carpenter's Starman.
3: Starman uh, stars Jeff Bridges and uh, Karen Allen. Karen Allen is a, is a widow recently um, lost her husband. She wakes up one Indiana night. Jones. Yeah, Indiana <laughs> Jones. Karen Allen, and uh, she finds a man who looks exactly like her husband in her house. And but he's an idiot. What, but he's an idiot exactly. <laughs> but really, he's an alien. Who has has taken her husband's form um, and is trying to connect with her, learn about humanity, but has a very particular mission. Um, you know, he Had a very needs particular set of skills. Very particular set of skills. It makes him a nightmare for these people. Uh, he has to he has to get across country to meet his ship. Basically, he just needs a ride, man. Like that's his objective. It's very simple. Um, they're pursued by the government. Um, what's interesting is it gives us two very different views of, um, of, of how the government might react to this. Right. We have, uh, we have one character who's basically the scientist who's like, who thinks that what's happening is amazing. And maybe they need to help this guy and maybe he's not a threat. And then of course, you know, you have the other guy who's like, screw it. He's a threat. They're a threat. You know, we have to stop them. We have to kill them, whatever. Um, but what's great about this movie is how the relationship between Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen evolves over the course of the trip, which you can track just by watching the status of the gun. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that that Jeff Bridges at first sort of has to hold on her. And then that just sort of goes away. Um, there, are just, there are moments that are just unbelievably beautiful. Um, like Jeff Bridges, uh, you know, using his ability to, to restore a deer that's been killed by some yokel hunters to life. And it's, it's amazing. It's like, it's heart and throat and it just, it, but every scene is just so well calculated to lead to the next, to develop their relationship, to build the stakes, to make us give a shit. Uh, for that third act which is actually very simple just people running around in a freaking quarry waiting to get picked up by a giant ball I mean it's but it's it's great um, and when he finally leaves it's just it's sad but you know that he's left her with a with a gift um, that's that's amazing uh, and uh, it's herpes exactly he's left her with space herpes he's left her They watched ice pirates on the road as it <laughs> turned out which is not on this list which i i don't think maybe it is who knows maybe it's number one you you can't tell um but yeah it's uh it's, it's my a, pick it's totally my pick uh anyway starman great john carpenter movie great science fiction movie um well worth your valuable time absolutely uh, great movie. It's a movie that
6: Columbia passed on ET to make. Uh, they said, "Oh, we already have something like it. We have Starman." Now, Starman was a successful movie for them, but nothing, uh, uh, you know, compared to ET for Universal. So uh, it's interesting, but uh, you know, it, it's amazing that it didn't lead to more of a mainstream career for Carpenter because it was a successful movie and a critical hit. Well, okay. yeah,
4: I, I mean, I have to say that what I love about this film is you know it, it portrays the idea of an extraterrestrial in a such a positive life light and i love when he says in the in the in the movie you know he was nominated for an academy award obviously for his performance jeff bridges but he says you people are be- at your best when things are worst mm-hmm. and and i love the fact that he's portrayed as being sort of a dim-witted alien but then when he finally speaks up you realize just how heartfelt yeah. and sensitive and understanding of the human animal he really is.
3: For example, red light means stop. Green light means go. Yellow light means
4: go very fast. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it's a really, really emotional film. Mm-hmm. And Jack Nietzsche, I think it's Jack Nietzsche who did the score for it.
1: Yeah.
4: Um, it's just a beautiful score. Yeah. And and the end, the end of this movie really contains a sense of awe and wonder about it. and. And it's very know.
7: similar to E.T. in many ways.
4: Yeah, it really well, is. Well,
6: that's, uh, that's, that's for sure. Number 51 is an outer space Western with Sean Connery. Peter Hyams is back in our countdown with high noon in space. Literally, a high noon in space.
10: On the second moon of Jupiter something deadly is happening.
2: Pretty soon you'll see that this is just like every other mining town. I work these people hard and I I let them play hard. There's never much trouble. We're all professionals
10: sure we are we've only been here two weeks it'll get better i promise i got nothing more on that incident in the mine yesterday it looks
1: like some guy just went wacko it happens
9: here how often i don't know it just happens here why i'm not a psychiatrist i can't tell you why some people just can't take it here after a while no way
10: it could have been homicide. It had to have been a suicide.
9: 28 in the last six months.
10: Did you do autopsy?
9: No.
10: Then how do you know it was a suicide?
2: There's no
10: other explanation.
2: When a person exposes himself to zero pressure atmosphere, there isn't a whole lot left to inspect.
10: Something's there, it?
1: Maybe.
10: Try and meddle, I want you to know what
4: you're meddling with. How do you leave? You are dealing with grown-ups here. Bingo. Wash. you're dead.
2: If you're the kind of guy you're supposed to be. You wouldn't stick around.
9: That's why they sent you here.
10: Maybe they made a mistake. enemy is
0: still man.
6: Uh, You know, Wyam's never renowned for his originality, but somehow he always manages to make even his homages and let's be polite um, entertaining. (laughs) And uh, once again, he's behind the camera. He's writing. He's directing. He's a triple threat. And he has Sean Connery as his lead actor playing Gary Cooper in space. (laughs) And, uh, but here's the thing you know, other than the fact that Pierre Hyams clearly um, watched Alien a few too many times and stole all of Ridley Scott's production design, um, it's a really great, smart movie that has only aged well. This is a movie I must have watched 9,000 times on Warner Home Video, and, and not to mention on HBO. It seemed to be on every three seconds, uh, back in the back in the eighties. But you know, part of that is because it's really entertaining. Sean Connery's great, and he's a man of principle who stays behind to do battle with Peter Boyle. Could you imagine him being the villain today in a in nope. a mainstream Hollywood movie? Peter Boyle and no, and you know who the love interest is. <laughs> Frances Sternhagen. She is so
4: yeah. good in this movie.
6: <laughs> she's not it's, really the love, she's the love interest in yeah. but she's like the female lead is yeah. Frances Sternhagen, who probably was lo- younger than us at the time, but looks like she's 80. <laughs> uh, right. Right. But it doesn't matter. But she plays many, Dr. McCoy. She plays Dr. McCoy. Yes, yeah, I mean, she does. Exactly. But he's such a fun, I mean, because if you're going to rip off a movie, rip off High Noon and put it in space, why not? That's the kind of stuff we were all coming up with when we were in sixth grade. It's the greatest movie for somebody in sixth grade because it's an outer space western. Sean Connery brings the Gravitas to the role. He so does not want to be there. Not doing the movie, it's one thing, but he doesn't want to be staying on Io on this mining colony, <laughs> but he has to do what's right. And then it's basically the same ending as High Noon. But... Um, with a little intro thrown in the short lived special effects technology where it was kind of the progenitor of today of, of, of the video Stagecraft, screens yeah. of, of, um, you know, of what do they call it? The, um, Stagecraft. yeah. So, volume, we're, we're, you
4: know, whatever yeah, the
6: volume, it's the, 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 you know, the press It's before the volume was the volume, like where they shoot Mandalorian and all this stuff in front of these, uh, uh, liquid dist- these screens, it was intro would project video, uh, not project video, would project film, and oh. they would shoot all the live action play in front of the film being projected. It was awful. It looked like exactly what it was. But um,
4: but well, it, it depends didn't how it was employed. This was the first uh, movie to use it. Stand by Me has a great intro vision.
6: Yeah, shot. yeah, yeah. But it, so, it doesn't so look
7: it The Fugitive.
6: Does, it, does, it doesn't look great, but it's it, it's okay because this movie is really good. Yep. and it's just sort of it's for for something that is such a low kind of B movie premise it executes it with like finesse and an A-level approach where the characters don't do dumb things yeah. and everyone's smart and, uh, and
7: have it's great dialogue. It's the return of the company that uh, screwed up things for Capricorn one, Con Amalgamate. Yep.
6: <laughs> yes, that's it is. right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. They're back. And, uh, <laughs> and, they're bigger than later. Ever. and not only that, it brings back James B. Sicking the captain of the Excelsior for all you Star Trek three fans as, uh, Sean Connery's uh, n- number two guy and uh, he's great. Yep. And uh, it's, it's really, this is another film that is not on the tip of people's tongues these days. It's sort of gotten lost to the sands of time. There's
7: a great uh, Jerry Goldsmith score.
6: Great Jerry Goldsmith score. And uh, it's kind of alien without the alien. Yeah. But uh, instead sure. it got, you know, drug dealings and other kinds of shenanigans going on on IO. And again, not a particularly successful movie at the time, but um, but you know here we are, you know on Jupiter's literally moon forty is years the later, law. talking about it and loving it.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that the 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 only drawback to this movie is the gunmen that come to kill Sean Connery are really stupid. Yeah, I, that you know <laughs> they're like, let's fire at a uh, a window on in space.
6: Yeah, but they weren't that smart in high noon either. The funny thing is, a kid watching this today wouldn't even realize it's a ripoff of high noon. They said, This is really cool. It's like like they never even heard of high noon. I can't believe we live in a world where people don't know what high noon
4: is. Uh, Yeah, we live in that world. We do. Weird.
6: Okay, which brings us to the final episode, movie of this episode. Ashley, number 50, take us out of part three of the holiday countdown. What if I refuse? Well, then we'll leave without it. Actually, in Uh,
4: this case, you would already know whether or not he was going to. uh, Yeah, that's actually true. We already. You know know what? If if you
6: refuse, we'll replace
3: you with someone more capable.
4: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly.
3: So um, we've spoken a lot on this particular episode about uh, about elevated B movies, about great B movies, about you know looking cheapo, having a great concept, right? Having like. Uh, you know great uh, special effects and production values but maybe being in not the so bright right but every once in a while a film comes along that kind of checks all of the boxes to one degree or another um, and uh, coming in at number 50 our midpoint uh, the
7: breakpoint
3: uh, for uh, for our our little Holiday special.
7: We're six hours in.
3: We're six (laughs) hours in, people. We're like, we're almost to the end of Avengers Endgame. Um, From 2016, a film that was nominated for eight Academy Awards, directed by a director who clearly never went on to do anything again. Uh, Directed by Denis Villeneuve. Uh, 2016's Arrival.
9: There are days that define your story beyond your life Like the day they arrived
6: What might be called first contact The objects measure at least
7: I'm Colonel G.T.
2: Webber from Army Intelligence Pack your bags You're at the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations
8: Priority one What do they want? Where are they from? You'll be reporting to me, but you'll be working with him When you're in the show That's what they call him, the UFO.
9: Who's being carted off in the medevac?
8: Not everyone is wired for what you're about to do. So what do they look like?
5: You'll see soon enough. Every 18 hours, a door opens up. That's where we go
4: in.
8: Yeah, that has happened. What happens now? They
1: arrive. They need to see me. Dr. Banks? Are you insane?
9: Now that's a proper introduction. More objects have landed around the world. This is one of twelve. I'm never going to be able to speak their words. Got two days. Figure something out. I am human. It's their language. We need to make sure that they understand the difference between a weapon and a tool. Language is messy and sometimes one can be both.
8: Are you dreaming in their language? Possible? They're
2: prodding us to fight among ourselves.
1: This is just a way to force us to work together for once.
2: It's more complicated than.
1: How is it more complicated?
2: Russia just executed one of their own to keep their secret. Got twenty-one hours before we start global war. So how do we clarify their intentions?
1: I go back in.
10: Why does this feel worse?
3: No V. No bloody A, the, or an. Uh, No definite article, no indefinite article, no article at all. Uh, The premise of Arrival is actually dirt simple. Aliens show up on Earth. Exactly, at first, at first. Uh, Aliens show up on Earth, and uh, we try to figure out how to communicate with them. And that story in and of itself is actually probably my favorite part of the movie. Um, because I think the relationship that develops between the aliens and the translators, um, Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, um, their team is incredibly fascinating. And the way that it looks at how language functions, the way that it looks at how communication functions, um, and how all of that plays into the plot, because there's a ticking clock, right? Because It isn't just one ship that's landed. There are multiple ships that that have landed around the world. And there are different teams uh, who are making different decisions about how to deal with the aliens. And it feels like there is an excellent chance that one of these teams is going to wildly screw up uh, and kick off a, uh, kick off a war that we are doomed to lose. So the stakes couldn't possibly be higher. And meanwhile, um, underneath it all is actually a very effective, doesn't feel bolted on um, relationship story. Uh, you know, it's about it's about a marriage that's gone bad for reasons that are incredibly relatable, incredibly emotional, and turn out to be extremely important uh, to the outcome of the film uh, because they affect the way that uh, that our protagonists communicate with the aliens and how they reach the aliens. Um, It's quite beautiful. It does an amazing job of communicating the scope of these ships, um, of making us feel like these things that we're watching are actually happening. Um, It's, you know, it's, I mean, the sound design is actually, it's fantastic. I mean, everything like design-wise and it, it is borne out by its Academy Award nominations uh, is just, it's, it's beautiful. It's great. Um, it, you know, it's, uh, if I have one criticism of this film, it's that for, for all of the, the things that work for it emotionally for as, as smart as it is, um, it, it, it never quite, it never quite lands for me a knockout punch. I, I see the punches that should be the knockouts, but they don't quite land as the knockouts, and I think ultimately what gets in its way is that um, the the kind of the emotional heft of the movie depends on an intellectual exercise for the audience, right? And so we're asking the audience to both be in the movie emotionally, but also then to sit outside of it and think about it. Mm-hmm. And the second we ask the audience to do that, we're we're, we're disconnecting the them emotional. from their emotional connection. Yeah. Yep, and that's a problem. That's a
7: good um, analysis, by the way.
3: Thank you. Um, I, but I, I think it's a worthy movie. I love the ambition of it.
4: Oh, look, I agree with you, and I think that um, you know, the original script for this film was was banging around Hollywood for a while. and uh, uh, it's based on I, a short I,
7: story, right?
4: Yeah, they mm-hmm. cha- they changed the ending of um, the the film, which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, in the original version of the of the story, all of the people of the earth, the different nationalities were being given uh, parts to a machine that would later allow faster than light travel. But we all had to cooperate to get it so we could then save the aliens 3000 years from now. And in in the final film, the gift of the aliens is their language. And it 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 makes it
7: and the mindset to understand their language.
4: Yes. And the mindset to understand their language. And so ultimately, only one person does. Right. And I understand why they made that change because all studio development notes are all about well you have to make this personal to the protagonist so we can all get it. And it's 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 less of a sci-fi. It's what Michael Pillar did in the third season of Next Generation. Um which I again, I don't mind because the way this movie is made, the verisimilitude, the feeling, I mean, you're you are it's a character study. And even though you're dealing with aliens and global catastrophe, it never strays away from Amy Adams' character. Mm-hmm. You know, you're always with her and you're feeling her experience and what she's doing. And this movie truly has a sense of wonder. The The aliens as they are portrayed and their ships and everything is, it's so beautifully done. And you really, uh, it's hard to create a sense of wonder, but this movie has that. And My only when-
7: go go ahead no go ahead i'm just gonna say my my only feeling about this movie is that i wish they had never shown all of the aliens Mm -hmm. i wish that they had remained to the audience a mystery Mm -hmm. just you know the the hand that comes up against the against the window i wish it, it had remained that because seeing them takes away some of the mystery and magic to me
6: well, if your sense of wonder has you wondering what's going to be next on the countdown, you want to join us on the next Inglorious Trexpert's holiday special as we count down from number 49 to whatever to the the number, we make it to.
7: Whatever we get to.
6: That's right. But uh, none of this would be possible without the, um, the hard work of uh, Bill Ritter, who continues to uh, make us sound so great over uh, Twitter and his... Um, over Twitter, over Zoom, in uh, this crazy pandemic uh, that goes on and on and on. And uh, of course, we want to thank our uh, uh, producers, Peter Holmstrom, Zach Raggots, and Nally Miscelli. We want to thank you, the audience, for, for sticking with us through this marathon holiday special. We hope you're having a great holiday. We, 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 we appreciate you.
7: Two episodes ago.
6: <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you spending with us here on Inglorious Trexperts. And we look forward to having you join us for our very next episode as we continue with the sci-fi top 101 sci-fi movies of all time. Until then, on behalf of Robert Burnett, who you can listen to daily on the Burnett work on YouTube, Ashley Edward Miller, who you can't listen to daily, but he he's on a few street corners uh, or and on Twitter at Ashmaster zero and Darren Docterman, who you can find in glorious Trexperts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, Uh, and myself, Mark A. Altman, all we have left to say is keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course. And attempt no landings.